0: very I'm pleased as punch today. I'm back on tour for the first time in, you know, a year and a half. So, right. It was oh the first God. day. It was just I I felt so I had like 2 days of preparation and we didn't used to prepare because it would just be like, hey, we're on tour. Week off. We're on tour. You just get in the cycles. And uh, for the last 2 days I've been like, all right, every cable needs to be checked and every bag needs to be packed and but, you know, drove up here today from Indy and it was like, oh, the boys are together. We're back in various towns.
1: It's the life. This is your first stop on your first tour and yes. since
0: March 2020? We've done uh, probably four or five other one-offs out of town. We did mm-hmm. one in GR, and we did one in Cleveland, uh, and then we played a half dozen shows at home since uh, The Plague. But this is the first, uh, you know, we're out for ten days, and then next month we're out for two weeks, and then the week after that we're out for two weeks. Wow. Back to Back to work. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Thanks. I'm, I, I am too.
1: I'm, I miss having individuals like yourself musicians artists come in on tour stopping in for a session stopping in for a podcast stopping in to hang out stopping in to sleep you know here whatever it is it's it's also been the same for me because i host the stuff here right so like it affects me in a different way you know you had
0: had the fest this year right i
1: did uh it was about a month almost a month ago september 25th and 26th yeah that was crazy that was a hard one to (laughs) do to, with like the COVID regulations, yeah. checking vaccines, um, it was it was pretty chaotic. I didn't like back in August. I don't know if you remember the vibe and the yeah. airwaves, but it was kind of really hit or miss with vessels and shows. Like it was getting grim. Yeah. And people I knew who were touring and playing shows were like, things might get canceled. Yeah. And I was so nervous. I didn't know how to like plan for a maybe. Right. You know the porta potties, right. the lumber, the all that. Yeah. Like it's a lot of money. And for like, sure. I can't wing this. Right. I was terrified. I was, I didn't know what to do, but it worked out. And you Good. played three years ago, which was yeah. amazing. Yes, it was. That's which is a funny story.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you want me to tell it? On you the, could. On I, th- the I mean, it's pretty great if you're uh, comfortable telling it. Yeah, I don't care. Um, we're a psychedelic rock band, so uh, <laughs> I don't know, we. Uh, but uh, we're co- we try to be constantly professional. You know, uh, there's a, a certain level of we're gonna have fun on the road. We're gonna have experiences most of the time. We're like. Yeah, hey, people are. Might be the only time they see us, and we might be on video, so we we'll take everything really seriously. And um, it was a summer where we had one other show prior. We had uh, somebody giving some LSD to us at the State Street Pub show we played with uh, Emily Blue from Chicago and a couple mm-hmm. other bands. And that night we we uh, took it and we went on stage and we played and it was fine. And then after we played, we we're like walking on stage, going, "Oh, whoa!" Like. Uh, you know, this colors start to move, and you're like, okay, but well, this is cool. We're done working, like pack up. And DZ Fest, we were here, we were hanging out, we were watching some band, and this old man was sitting in front of me, and he turned around, and he goes, "You guys look like you're playing tonight." I said, "We are." He said, "Are you ready?" I was like, "Yeah, we're we're geared up, we're psyched, you know." He goes, "Are you spiritually ready?" <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, "Wow, I don't. That's a big question. I think so." And I kind of walked away from the conversation. I went to Josh, our our bass player, who's the other most like uh, experimentally inclined. <laughs> like yeah, said. yeah, yeah. I said, "Josh, I think I think that guy has acid over there." <laughs> and we're like, "Well, we should hit him up after the show." But then we were at our car loading out for our set, and uh, he was we saw that guy walking out. And so I was like, hey, sir, excuse me, sir. (laughs) I said, when you asked me if we were spiritually prepared, and he just kind of like chuckled to himself, and he handed us these two tabs, and so Josh and I ate them promptly, and um, we didn't time it as professionally as we did the time in (laughs) (laughs) Indy because it was about an hour and 15 minutes, and then we're like, all right, let's play. And as I'm getting up on stage, I'm going, oh, I don't... How, does, how do pedals work? Like, what is it? <laughs> what? <laughs> and realize, like, oh, man, yeah. Oh, I looked at Josh. He looked at me. Nothing nothing was verbally expressed, but we're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the moment you knew, I'm on acid while I play this show. Oh, man. Well, I have watched back because you videotaped the Spirit of the Trailer Park, and I watched that video, and I was like, wow. Even when I wasn't there, we did a pretty good job. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I never would have known. I, I liked that one a lot, and I, I actually watched it recently, and I don't remember how, why it happened, but I never would have guessed that you guys were
0: good on LSD. So we, so we pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> that's... I walked off stage right immediately after that song, and pulled my shirt off, I was just like a big sweaty mess, and I was like, I forget, am I Jim Morrison or Jesus Christ or somebody else? <laughs> I walked down and gave my friend Taylor a hug, and I was like, "We're on acid," and he was like, "I had no idea." It yeah. sounds like good. We're very subtle, responsible drug users. <laughs> it may have
1: not been your first time taking a psychedelic. That is also true. So that probably helped because yes. your first time, oh, sketchy. If you're, gonna perform, if you're going to perform, you're going
0: to do anything.
1: Do anything. Yeah. yeah. Wow,
0: that's a really great story. I'm glad <laughs> it happened here. I had no
1: idea. I'm sure that's happened a lot. Here? You
0: try to do it only in a place where you feel safe and you yeah. feel like it's a, a contained environment where, yeah. you know, you've got trusted people around and it's a positive environment, you know. Absolutely. Which it is. it is. You only get, you know, I've only ever had a bad time on psychedelics when I was trying to use them uh, in, a, in an escapist way. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a situation that is not great and you're like, well, maybe it'll be more fun if I'm high. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exponentially worse. It is. It, it kind of turns out.
1: Any abuse of a substance is bad when your intent isn't good. Totally. Here.
0: And there's, I mean, I'm sure there are things that fall outside of that realm. I'm not sure about if there's ever, like, an ethical time to use opiates or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, a lot of, uh, did you ever watch um, Midnight Gospel? Yes,
1: um, Duncan Trussell. Yeah, 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 huge
0: fan of his, but the doctor that he has on, like, the first episode talks about there not being any good drugs or bad drugs, just proper and improper uses of them. hmm and uh yeah, the only time I ever had a bad time on drugs when it was like, Oh, this this sucks. Maybe it'll be more fun and it's like, that's not what this is for. This is holy medicine for exploring the depths of your inner mind and the, the you know, the breadth of the universal system of which you are a part, you know, a yeah. throbbing, pulsing cell of the of the greater Gaia whole. So I don't know. Get real tangential about that stuff.
1: No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's something of more recent years that I've consumed um, psilocybin
0: yeah
1: LSD marijuana I didn't start that until much later like late 20s same yeah, yeah. Same. How, how old are you I don't even know your uh, age. I'm 30 yeah 30 I'm 31 so we're about the same nice um yeah I, I think that was it wasn't really on purpose but I think that was smart cuz it allowed oh. everything to form
0: man <laughs> I you know yeah for sure and, I don't I don't yeah. know about like the all the the neuroplasticity data behind that, but I do know that like, I uh, I was very straight and narrow uh, uh, until about age twenty six, which mm-hmm. is when I had sort of a sense of spiritual liberation and um, and began to uh, just experiment and take things on on their own basis instead of uh, sh- shedding a lot of uh, accrued bias and prejudices uh, that you build up over the years but the fact that i i didn't start to have my sort of rumspringa until i was you know twenty twenty six 26 is you kind of you you know a little bit of who you are at that mm-hmm. point and you know if i if i had uh, been wilder at a younger age i don't know how it would have how it would have panned out i'm thankful for yeah like a slow ramp to awakening
1: yeah no i i agree with you 100% it it similar thing happened to me and i mean i don't I'm not, i don't judge people but i i We've met and worked with and traveled enough to meet people who started earlier. Yeah. And more likely than not, there's been residual effects of, like, maybe they didn't do well in college or even go because of getting too tied up in this or making the smallest mistakes that accumulate over time because of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I'm grateful for not really going down that and being more intentional with it now. Like you said, like, I have taken mushrooms and acid, but it's, like, very... Unique in particular times. It's yeah. not just you don't just wing it. No, you know, that. and safe places, right? People, right? Yeah. Environment. Set and setting, man. Set and setting. You you always hear that when you never took them, and you don't really get it until you take them. You're like, oh yeah, that's important. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because if you if you come to the table with some neuroses or some anxiety or whatever, then the the thing about psychedelics is like it is never. You can't take a psychedelic and have somebody say what's well, going to do this to you. It's going to make you feel this type of way because it's like no, it's going to make them feel their own uh, they have their own biological fingerprint uh, and their own, you know, chemical signatures in their brain that are uh, the the psychedelic especially psilocybin with it being, you know, just from the mycelia from the earth for like the most natural compound you could possibly ingest in like a, a drug sense. It's like, yeah, that's not taking you anywhere. That's not already in your brain. And so if you can have uh, a clean mind and a pure heart and a day off and you're with a trusted person, that's a great time to eat a fistful of mushrooms <laughs> and see what you want to learn about the universe and about yourself. And But, uh, you know, if you're at a rock show and somebody's like, hey, take some of these, like, probably don't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you did. <laughs> Especially
1: for playing. Yeah. Oh, oh God, that's so funny. Um, have you, um, you've been on tour a lot. Mm-hmm. How many tours would you say if you can throw a
0: number out there? I actually went through the Google Calendar and counted them recently going back to um, uh, Halloween of 2011, which was our first show.
1: Ten years ago. This
0: Halloween will be our 10-year anniversary. Congratulations.
1: That's amazing. Uh, Thank you.
0: And in that time, we've uh, clocked over 900 shows in 42 states, so...
1: 900
0: shows and 40 that's impressive at a certain point you're just tired for the rest of your life and you go this is how it's going to (laughs) go that's amazing though
1: good for you you've seen a lot yeah yeah. 42 states what what are the 8 states that you Uh, you haven't gone
0: to we've never played in the Dakotas okay um, and we've never played in Hawaii or Alaska those two make sense we haven't been to Nevada it's just so in the middle of the desert and I don't I don't know that people are looking for what we make out in Vegas Mm -hmm. yeah um And then Montana, I still Mm -hmm. haven't played. Uh, And Delaware.
1: Delaware. Yeah. Those all make perfect sense, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, if you told me to guess, I've already got, like, seven of those, right? Yeah, (laughs)
0: totally. I think there's one or two more there, but, yeah. Wyoming? We played in Wyoming? We played a show, yep, in Laramie, (laughs) so I can count that off the list.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's the couple states that... After driving, I've done some road trips out there, and after driving through so many states, even East Coast South, you could see like I don't understand how anybody would play here. Yeah, like I don't even in bigger bands. Just kind of like there's nothing. There's literally nothing here. I'm driving through it. Right. I don't see anything. Yeah. You know, and so it's nothing against those states. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's nothing. There's no
0: the middle of the country is so sparsely like situated. Everything is so far apart. And we just booked uh, our next tour is going to go from indy up through um wisconsin and minnesota and then out to colorado and new mexico to play in denver and albuquerque um and it feels like oh we're halfway we might as well go to the west coast but then you start to map it and the drives from city to city like on this tour in the midwest everywhere we're going is two to four hours away right and so our days are just so like yeah, well, yeah let's go see what's cool and let's find a spot to hike and i know when we go out west it's gonna be just like Get in the car. Ten. We finish the show. Fourteen get back hours. The <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's a Eight
1: hours is standard uh-huh. between those places. And, and the East Coast is a joke. Thirty minutes to two hours.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> everything's thirty minutes, and it just takes two hours to sit yeah. through the tolls and. Traffic if there was
1: no like, tolls in traffic, yeah. you're like Portland, Maine, Boston, <laughs> yeah, Ro- Providence, Rhode Island, Hilarious Connecticut, Hilarious. Hartford, Connecticut. You know, New York, Philly, yeah, Pittsburgh. They're not far at all to, in
0: miles. Know, no, know. but your experience, even though it is so clustered on the East Coast, I find it is just like. Significantly harder to tour than the close the closer cities of the Midwest and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think because of sort of the more celebrity stature of your New Yorks and your Philadelphias and stuff like that, uh, the economy of it is just uh, sharkier. Like it's it's much harder to make a good door deal in Baltimore than it is in Columbus, mm-hmm. and you're also probably going to pay for parking and probably for a tow at some point and <laughs> you know. something.
1: Yeah, New York is challenging.
0: It's tough. It's well,
1: tough. I was there um, recently, you know, two months ago. And the artists I met and worked with, like, I, I could tell, like, they love it there because mm-hmm. the culture, the environment, yeah. the art, it's like the mecca of America. When it comes It's sure. art and music. It's like the main city. It is, but it's so oversaturated mm-hmm. and so cutthroat because it's like Indianapolis, Chicago, Colorado, Columbus, Minnesota. Minneapolis, not Minnesota, that's a state. Um, (laughs) These are like springboards to get to New York, LA.
2: Yeah, maybe. So when you're there,
1: like if you're trying to make it in something, you're like, go to those, or Nashville or something. I'm trying to make
0: it, but I don't want to live in those places. That's what I'm
1: saying, but like people who go there, that's their mindset. Oh, for sure. You know, and because of that, like there is, you don't go any higher. So you're kind of like, psychologically, I feel like it could be really hard on you. You're like, well, I'm in the final place. Right. But like, why am I I can't even get a show. And when I do, there's seven people. And when there's, 50 people, I don't make enough money. It's all over the place. Yeah, Oversaturated, very, very sparse with, like, those connections. And it can come off... I don't know. The bigger the city and the more transplants there are, it can mm-hmm. be hard to be very genuine. Hmm. You get a lot of disingenuous characters that way. Hmm. Um, which, you know, it, it happens in any major city. It happens in Chicago, too, but... I'm be, sure. You know, th- there's not as many people trying to make it in a, in a high music industry here. It's more right. of a classic DIY scene, mm. you know, like what I'm involved with. People just want to play music and play right. shows. It's not the L.A. or New York scene. It's very different.
0: probably it's comes weird. third as far as your other arts with comedy oh, and with acting absolutely. and stuff. I know that it's this is huge. Uh, like anyone that is closer to Chicago than those, those coastal places might end up there. Mm-hmm. I, mean, listen, I was in a lot of different comics talking about their history in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Chicago's
1: huge for comedy. Acting's gotten pretty big because they've made some studios here. Movies are filmed here, TV shows. Music scene's great. It's also the geography of it. Um, Because it's flat and it's on a perfect grid Hmm. with a really nice designed highway system that circles around it and through it, you can get through to different neighborhoods and places you normally wouldn't really quickly. And it's more... The public transportation's laid out really well. Nice and then a lot of people have cars because of the way the grid it, and the classic like yeah. people live in the suburbs and go to the city like I do yeah. very easily whereas new york is such a insane <laughs> sprawl of like 15 million people or whatever it is you can't even drive like when i was leaving yeah it to go 7 miles out of williamsburg brooklyn uh-huh. through manhattan to new jersey took me like an hour and a half to yeah. go 7 miles yeah on a Sunday, it wasn't a work day. It wasn't rush hour. And I was like, That's the main, the, pro- the
0: m- biggest prohibition uh, between me and, like, living in New York. It wouldn't be just, uh, I think about the people that I know that work there, and it's like, oh, man, you can't even, you don't have the freedom to go on tour because if you leave from your job for more than a week, then you're not going to be able to afford to keep your bedroom that you rent. For, yeah. You know, but the thing that kills me is just, like, the people that I know who live there, like, oh, yeah, well, having a car is just too much, so I just don't have, I'm like, dude, my car is my... I feel more at home in my car than I do at my home. Yeah. Like, it is a sanctum. It's 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 like a totemic of my liberty to move about the country yeah. I, at will. And so I'm like, what do you mean you don't have a car? That's like not, you know. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's yeah. insane. But that's your lifestyle.
1: Like, I have, I'm have, i the same way. I drive so much. You mm-hmm. drive a lot for touring. I go on road trips. Like, all my vacations are road trips. And I drive really far for work down yeah. to ISU. So I'm the same way. Like, I cannot imagine not having a car. But staying in New York within the, the thick of it, I could see why people don't. It, the, the parking was a headache. The constant having to move it. There's no space. Yeah. It's so cluttered. You can't get anywhere. So it's all about walking, biking, and trains mm-hmm. and buses, you know?
0: What do you do at ISU?
1: I teach in the Creative Technology Department. Awesome. Yeah, I, I drive down there on Tuesdays and Thursdays.
0: What town is that in?
1: Bloomington Normal.
0: Okay. Blono. We're Illinois. doing Bloomington on Friday night. Nice. Where at? Um, night Shop. I was just about to say Night Shop. Yeah. Night Shop's cool. I, I used to go there all the time. I'm really excited to go. We used to play... At the coffee shop in Normal. Coffee Hound? It was called The Coffee House in yes. Normal, Illinois. Yes, I know the coffee <laughs> yeah. house. It's, it's like near, it's
1: an uptown normal, I know
0: exactly. And then we is. played a couple, I mean, we got in with a band from there called Alex and the XOs, that's no longer, but um, they plugged us in. We were playing house shows and stuff every time we'd go out there, but they were like, just crammed to the gills, man. You'd be playing in a basement. And there'd be like 50 people sweating on each other. It was mm. magic. It was cool. so rad. It's a classic college town.
1: Yeah. It's fun. It's weird to go down there to like its own little world. It's a different climate, 120 miles away. The vibe's different. It's all students. And then I come back. And I do it in one day. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird. to come back to like Chicagoland area where it's packed. There's yeah. traffic. There's people everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It feels different. The weather's different. I'm just like, this is... It's such a bizarre thing to do to your head. Not a lot of people experience. The two-hour commute one uh, way? Yeah. Uh,
0: 120 miles each way for work. Yeah. But it's twice
1: a week, so it... it you know, and it's only for the semesters.
0: Well, I, I travel an hour to teach at Anderson University once a week. Oh, really? Um, And it's an hour north of where I... So I don't have the whole, like... Climate difference and everything else, but it is definitely it's weird, right? Because I lived in that small town for like seven years, and now I've been acclimated to Indianapolis and the sprawl. And uh, once a week, it's like back to where I went to school, same classrooms school. that I took, you know, my lessons in. Um, what do you teach? Um, I'm in the music business department, uh, sort of the main overseer of the songwriting major. Mm. Uh, not that I have any like academic planning responsibilities. It's just the songwriting major is so niche, and mm-hmm. it's essentially a music business major combined with a English major, which is what I made for myself when I went there. And mm-hmm. then they're like, "Oh, we should do this as a thing." So I get to teach songwriting, and I teach a class that I wrote the curriculum for, called um, concert touring. Oh, cool! And so, I d- yeah, it's like a just like a really intensive once a week, two hours of being like, here, here's. <laughs> here's exactly what I do. Here are the websites that I use. Here's how I do my posters. Here's how I, because I I had a music business degree and then graduated and went on tour and had just, oh, just no idea (laughs) what I was doing at all. I knew about billboard charts and I knew about copyright law. Yeah. But like I didn't know how to get more than five people to come to a show in Bloomington. Yeah. Um, And I spent a few years doing that and building it. um, Just, you know, super grassroots, super DIY. And Mm -hmm. then when I was moving back to Indiana, I was like, well, I need to have some type of other work if I'm not going to be touring all the time. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back to my superintendent of that department that I was under when I was a student. I said, hey, I have this idea for a class. It would be cool if I could adjunct teach this semester. And they said yes, and that was like uh, six years ago. So oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's a cool way to feel like uh, I'm synthesizing information. You definitely know something better if you have to teach it. Yes. Uh, uh, and then also... I love that I can provide a real realistic view um, that's not like, you know, I was in the music industry for 20 years, and then I stepped away to become a teacher. It's like, no, I'll tell you guys, like, last week I went on tour, and here's what I fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. don't fuck up like this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. Yeah. it. I'm, like, very much in the same boat as you, which is cool. I can relate cool. with yeah. you. Like, what we did today, Yeah. I go talk about tomorrow. Oh, that's, that's you know, rad. All day, and then... Because I teach an intro to music business as well, which you should guest speak about it. We'll talk about that off the mic. Yeah. That'd <laughs> You'd be, be a great awesome. guest speaker. But yeah, it's, it's, so it's the same thing. You apply it and then you show the students, and it's just back and forth. It's weird yeah. to like, act it out and do it here or do it on location, film, record, do sound design for a movie or something, and then go teach it and then reiterate what you forgot or remember from school mm-hmm. and then apply it back to the work you're working on at home. It's yeah, weird. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It but it's great. You stay sort of sharp, alchemical. you're always learning. It's a nice thing to do. I think it's I think not enough people get that in their mind, you know, with work and, and creativity. So yeah. it's nice to be able to go back and
0: forth. I, I love I love the opportunity for growth that it is and you know, you're developing your own pedagogy and mm-hmm. and, and you know it's sort of evaluating your own practices and stuff and there's mm-hmm. room there's room to to fix your own stuff and teaching it and vice mm-hmm. versa.
1: And being challenged, students yeah. ask questions. Sometimes for you sure. don't know the answer and you're yeah. like
0: you or sometimes they'll out. say, "Yes, I'm teaching. I'm teaching a writing class right now, and and so um, sometimes I'll give a prompt, uh, you know, and then they'll read their work, and I'll j- they'll just hit me sometimes like, whoa, wow! I didn't think of it that way. That's mm-hmm. great. That's better. That's better than mine.' Hey, read that. Read that all out loud <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna change that prompt next time. You know, and, it's uh, a
1: good quality to know when you don't know something, even when you are supposed to be the professional or the yeah. the uh, scholar or whatever it is they want to call you." I think it's still important to, like, know when you know and yeah. know when
0: you don't. Man. It's one way to learn. My brother, Sean, uh, is out in Denver, and I will never forget the time. We were, like, roommates in a senior year. And he said, you know how sometimes people will say, all right, so you know that show such and such, and you don't, so you just kind of go, yeah. You know, or just kind of a real milk us like, oh, go ahead and tell me the thing that you want to tell me about. Or, you know how in science, blah, 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 and you just don't want to look like an idiot. So mm-hmm. you go, okay, go ahead and say the thing. Um, he, I picked up from him the habit of going, actually, no, pause, please. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Would you mind explaining so I understand the context of the other thing that you're about to say? And no one is ever peeved by that. You know, they're, they're being asked about something that they know. Obviously, they want to share something on that topic anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. And then it's
0: like, hey, don't pretend that you're smarter than you are and cheat yourself out of the opportunity to pick up some new information Mm -hmm. because of your pride or whatever and just like it's really easy to go actually no i don't know that please explain it to me so i can you know take this ride with you and there's there's power and humility and modesty you know
1: it's an excellent point and i i agree with you i i do my best all the time to do that and it's can be harder with like younger minds because you're like i'm supposed to be like
2: the leader right. I'm in charge yeah. but
1: they even learn I think it's better for them to see an adult the person who's supposed to be who knows it all to admit like I actually don't know that can you yeah. elaborate can you explain yeah. like what yeah. you just said and no one's ever mad at it I think people actually like that they're like yeah. wow not only do I get to explain what I wanted to anyway but that person admitted something. You can inspire them to start doing that too. Yeah. Instead of everyone wanting to be a know-it-all, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, we all have Google on our smartphone. Doesn't make us smart. <laughs> yeah. The phone is the smart thing. Like we're just using it as this vessel to obtain information. We kind of can recall, but it's uh, we're not we're not an interweb. We can't make sense right. of all this, you know. So it's good to know when you know mm-hmm. and know when you don't. And that's probably a really great feature when you've been going on tour all this time to like be able to apply that to that class and then have students ask questions that you're like oh, I didn't think about that mm-hmm. and, and now you can take that on tour and like do better work when you're out on the road when you're yeah. selling records when you're selling a shirt um, how many do you have vinyl do you do vinyl
0: we uh, this tour right now is the first time that we have uh, vinyl for our well, we just uh, pressed our new record skeleton party um, we only pressed one record before, uh, Alyosha 2015, um, sold out of those and like I have one left, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, we didn't do Psychotropic on vinyl because everything there was just, it's, it's very DIY and it's, it's cost prohibitive. It's time prohibitive with the, how the industry is backed up today. But, uh, for this album, uh, it's the first time that we've put anything out with a record label, uh, and we signed with Romanus Records out of Franklin, Indiana, and so they put up the coin to a really cool pressing of Skeleton Party that's, uh, it's like clear vinyl, but it's splattered with black and orange and filled oh, with gold cool. leaf. And
1: when well, does that come out?
0: Uh, I've got them in the car.
1: Whoa. <laughs> and we're
0: selling them on this tour. So. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, that's awesome. I'll show you some pictures. Yeah. After. There's a, there's a tricolor variant and then there's like a custom, uh, that'll be available on romanusrecords.com that's, uh sand-filled sand, sand filled record. Uh, it's filled with black sand mm-hmm. and with uh, glow-in-the-dark orange pigment so that it, it, it all moves when you shift it like this and in the dark it, it looks radioactive. It's really wild.
1: Wow. So. Was that on purpose to have it come out around Halloween and, like, Push it! In a I,
0: we we the record came out like a month or two ago, but yeah. when we were doing the whole schedule, it was like this is a very Halloween style record. The motif is black and orange. The disc is black and orange. And he's like, "Well, October 16th." I was like, "October 30th would be cool." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also our 10 year anniversary. That's you know? so cool. So, wow, that's like serendipitous.
2: Yeah, man.
1: Very cool. And you have four records.
0: Uh, Yes. Joshua Powell. Yeah, there's two as uh, Joshua Powell and The Great Train Robbery. Um, Man is Born for Trouble. It's like a very organic folk record. Alyosha. We started to play electric guitar and smoke weed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We did a rebrand to Joshua Powell in uh, 1819. Psychotropic was a very psychedelic indie bordering on rock record. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Skeleton Party came out this last month and it's. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty teeth kicking. Mm -hmm. You know, harmonized guitar solos and a couple yells and all that kind of stuff. Like what we just heard downstairs. That was great. Thanks. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Really cool
1: songs. Similar, like, like, like core as the previous ones that I've heard. The two songs we did here,
0: Arrowheads and Arrowheads are worse. And a Conaline we did last time. Yeah, and
1: then um, the Spirit of the Trailer Trailer Park. Spirit of the Trailer Park. Those three but new, like, yeah. growth, which is good. Always well,
0: good. cool thing between that record and this record is that on Psychotropic, uh, it was mostly me and the producer, Jonathan Klass. Uh, they were the only ones in the studio the whole time. Uh, my brother Jacob was living in Chicago and came down for a weekend to track all the drums because uh, we've worked together for years on and off. And then Adam, who was kind of, like, just touring member, just, like, had been in the band for a long time, played a lot of the leads on that record. Um but then for a Skeleton Party, um, we didn't use a producer. We did it all from home. Uh, it was just the four guys that were here today. Um, <clears throat> Jacob was not supposed to be here. He was working on cruise lines. The cruise industry got shut down. He kind of rejoined officially. And uh, and so the four of us all, it was still... I have a particular style of writing. I have a you know very... Uh, surrealist sort of esoteric take to narrative structures and and writing dense poetry shit and then hiding it up in toe tap and rock stuff. But, uh, these guys all bring these incredibly broad reference sets to the table where, you know, Jacob is very mathematical and Josh is very jazzy and Adam is very, you know, dyed in the wool, classic rock. And, um, we have developed the rapport and chemistry and trust both artistically and then also just as people that on this one it was like all right well i know what i'm good at which is this part of it and so here i wrote most of the song mm-hmm. and then the, all the all the stuff that you heard today that you didn't hear on the last project is m- mostly not you know, because i'm a genius it's because my friends are yeah <laughs> and we've the stupid irony of it all is that a few years ago i was like Joshua Pound, the Great Train Robbery is such a long folky name It never fits on a marquee, and I don't like it anymore, so it's just this. And right about the time, I was like, I'm the only one out here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Big ego stink uh, is when uh, things collapsed, and the band coalesced, and it was like, oh, shit, I always dreamed of being in an actual band, harmonious, democratic band, and I was like, no, solo now. And then the band thing happened. It was just like the right – it wouldn't have – it wouldn't have been right if it had happened at any other time with any other lineup of people that's just the universe needed to take its time with me and be gentle with my growth uh, mm-hmm. and pull the right people into orbit but um, I, it's never it's never felt this cool or cohesive or collaborative mm-hmm. and so i uh, look at skeleton party it's like this is the beginning man we're mm-hmm. just going to get we're just going to practice guitar more <laughs> we're just going to no, play it, together more no it feels more, like so.
1: glue it feels right cool man it felt very cohesive and very right and I wanted to ask you something about what you just said about, um, ego being the, the band's name after you, you do most of the, at least core writing as mm-hmm. far as lyrics and like maybe chord structures and then they build on it. Yeah. Does that, like how much of that truly gets, did it get to you? And now you like, you're beyond that. You like lost that ego as far as feeling like it's about me. It's my thing. Look at me. Spotlights on me.
0: So I don't, the ego will never go away. And no matter how many trips you take or Buddhist reading that you do, you know, it rears its head all the time. Something that my brother, a word that he gave me that has been long inspirational is that, like, you don't then get mad at the ego and try to, because you're never going to banish it completely, right? But you can d- cultivate a healthier relationship with it in which you recognize it's slashing out as a defense mechanism that's protecting the you that it understands you to be. It's trying to do its job. Um, and once you have graduated your consciousness to recognize like, oh, these are karma games. This is this is a silly little facet that's part of a more fluid creator self or no self. Um, then it's like, oh, silly little ego and you can tap it on the head and tell it to go back to its bedroom or whatever. Um, and the whole, uh, changing it to my name wasn't, wasn't like a, I, I, I never wanted it to, I feel weird about having a shirt that just says my name that people yeah, wear. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I, I'm like, I understand like why, you know, dashboard confessional is not called Chris Caraba. It's like that th- would look stupid on a shirt. Yeah. Know? Um.
1: Yeah. It's a weird one.
0: <laughs> I was mostly inspired by like Neil Young or the fact that like Neil Young will do a little live folk record and then he'll do, a bar and burn and, you know, drunk crazy horse gig and have this scope because he has always wanted to do both. And so he never allowed himself to just get pigeonholed in one thing. And I thought, well, just playing under my own name. The other thing, too, is that, like, I used to be way more censored uh, in a context like this where I would, my mom's going to listen to this. People from the church that I grew up might listen to this. You know, somebody at my job might hear this. And so, and at a certain point, it was... I I just I don't know. Got over, I crested that wave, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna be the same. I'm gonna be the same person everywhere I go, and mm-hmm. stop code switching. And people have a problem with it. It's okay. I don't have a problem with them. I just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm tired of of changing faces. And if I can do my best to be, you know, good and pure and and edifying to the people around me, then I'm just gonna trust that. Like Joshua Powell is just my name. These are always gonna be my songs. The next record might be a Doom record. It might be a Neo Soul record. I have no idea, but I'm not going to have to change the brand or switch the thing because like, no matter what kind of music these fellows and I make, I'm always going to be the one that wrote the beginning of it and singing it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why we're playing as that now. And I try at every turn to let people know that like, yes, in the same way that you don't just go see Neil Young play all seven instruments on stage. Mm-hmm. He's just... He's just the guy that does the interview. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has to deal with the nonsense. <laughs> and He's... the guys, the other guys in the van, don't want to do this uh, as no? much as uh, I like this part. You know, um, so it, it's
1: a different feeling. It's uh, to be the the face of something, to yeah. be the head, to have your name on something, to have an image. To it's weird. It's definitely weird. But, like, you know, it's definitely we.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But front manning is a different skill and it's a different role. You yeah. know, Adam's a much more capable guitar player than me. So I'm really thankful that I have him in here to play the leads and stuff. But, like, I've got, I, I, I can be semi interesting on a mic for an hour and a half, you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I love doing that part. I love getting to talk about the vision. And I love, more than anything, I love the idea of like, world building around this art project and you look at a person like Stephen King who has so many stories that weave into one another in these imagined worlds that he creates for us to inhabit or King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard who have the Gizverse and like all these fans that are tying all their concepts and themes together. And the art is an extension of the music and the interviews are performative and everything is this, this huge multimedia multidisciplinary artistic project. And I'm like, how much more exciting is that than a rock band, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I look at, when I'm writing the copy for the shows, they're little surrealist poems. And when I put posters on our Instagram, they're all edited with a certain... Because I'm trying to create mm-hmm. this overall, like, the Joshua Powell universe for yeah. all these stories to happen in. And
1: Have you always been like that? Or is that something that's just come to fruition over it's definitely, three decades?
0: Yeah, the latter. I just realized that, like, those artists that... uh if, When you read dune it's not like oh here's a sci-fi story it's like here's ericus and here's the politics of the place and here's the geography of the place and here is the social political environment of the pl-. and it's like you, it, you don't experience that literature like you experience uh, an asimov short story it's like no dude there's a language here there's a history here you might not see all of it but the writer has it in his head mm-hmm. and and so i i think that's uh it is more exciting um also our, our this is our whole band is like we were born and raised on star wars we we love just like that you could point out an extra in the back of the thing and go, Oh, you know who that is that's this guy, and here's his story, and he's from this planet and he speaks this <laughs> language and it's like um so you're like a sci fi uh
1: I—I would say nerd, but sci-fi. You're really into sci-fi.
0: I'm more so into horror. Um, oh, okay. But sci-fi was my on-ramp into genre stuff as a youngster, mm-hmm. uh, and then my tastes like dark end and stuff. I guess, but yeah, I still dig sci-fi. And Adam and I are still really big Star Wars nerds. Mm. But. What did you think of the last three? Um, I love, love, love. Eight. I love Ryan Johnson's uh, The Last Jedi. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because... What, what do we wait, wait before
1: we go further with that? I was just talking about this last night, and I was like, I need to rewatch. Am I have a feeling I might like eight the most after seeing all yeah. nine. Yeah. Or the last three. But there was one thing that I was I couldn't wrap my head around was when Leia. Just gets exploded out of the ship as like, floating in space and yeah. comes back. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that it's
0: scene? pretty stupid. It's okay. Pretty, pretty Mary Poppins. Okay, I thought so, too. Yeah, but there's oh, there's uh, Star Wars movies, Kanye West records. There's always three or four points. You're like, ooh, just cringy. You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, somebody should have had an editor in there with you. But <laughs> I don't know, uh, episode eight from Star Wars was, because the first, you know, the prequel trilogy is all retconned. So, like, you could still have a wild ride, but you know what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then 7, 8, and 9, we're just like in this uncharted territory. 7 is just 4 again. So you're like, okay, cool. Like, cool effects. Like, uh, excited to see where these people go. 8 was the first time you'd been surprised by a Star Wars film mm-hmm. since Empire Strikes Back. Because ESB came out, and it's like, the bad guys win. What? Yeah. And you're like, you're, it was just a revelation of storytelling. And ever since then, we've kind of always known what to expect. And then Ryan Johnson was like, "Yeah, dude, shit changes. It's wild. Maybe it's not this, uh, you know, this material dualism. Uh, maybe it's not about your heritage and your family." And it. And then, uh, I, don't know, I thought it was really bold. I, I didn't, wasn't sure I loved it immediately, but I was like, "I'm thinking about this Star Wars yeah. movie. What a crazy!" And then nine, I remember going to the theater. Being just like so inundated, over sensory, you know, and then I was like, "Wow, that was so fun!" And then I thought about it for a day or two, and then I was like, "Oh my god, that movie sucked." Yeah, <laughs> like, it, yeah. Was like, it was like it was the worst. It was man. the worst one out of like all of them. All of all eleven of them, man. Yeah.
1: That was rough. That's it was rough. bad, and it it had the turning point that made it bad for me was when as hard as it is, but it just would have been one of the craziest twists. Is Chewbacca should have died?
0: Chewbacca should have died. I, I would have. Not that I wanted Chewbacca. No, to die, of course. Not. But he
1: should have just but died. Because m- that would have made this. Oh my God. Chewbacca is a- people's favorite
0: for movies. That's a dog dying. Yeah. You know, it's it's <laughs> real gravitas <laughs> of like some emotional stakes. People
1: would have been like, really? Chewbacca? Like the cutest thing ever? Well,
0: Chewbacca dies and comes back. C3PO dies and comes back. They both should have died off. Yeah. And that would have been like, yeah, this is a dark yeah, way to go. Seriously. But it's Disney. They can't be dark. No, for sure. Which they can
1: cuz they own marvel and iron man dies so like what the heck <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they own most things i guess uh, i guess
1: they own yeah they own too many things <laughs>
0: uh,
1: um so what was your decision to go with that record label i'm just going to go right back yeah to that. totally <laughs> um like, why that record label? Um, have you tried others? Have you been approached by others?
0: i tell you, on Psychotropic, I pitched to, like, 100 labels. Um, I was curious. I had certain ones I was into, you know. But uh, I was just really interested. Because I've been doing it by myself for so long. We have a, uh, we have a licensing agent in Los Angeles who helps us with uh, TV uh, sync licensing stuff. But besides that... Uh, it's always been like a one-man operation, and I do all the booking and all the press and all the promo and all the graphic design and everything else. Um, so I'm I'm tired, and I want to grow. Um, and, you know, that's what you're quote-unquote supposed to do, to get, get signed. And I know that getting signed is not a, like a, it's obviously not like a, a the ticket out. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean what it used to either. No. But I would be lying if I didn't say, like, I was 15 years old, and my dream was, like, I want to have a rock band signed to a record label. You know? Seems mm-hmm. like a a pertinent growth step, um, so I put the feelers out about psychotropic. I got a big fat zero amount of interest back. I actually got three out of about a hundred emails back, um, just saying no thank you. Um, and one guy said no thank you, but try these other three labels. And I looked at them, and you know, they got like two hundred Facebook likes or whatever. I'm just like, oh, that's see that that why you know yeah, <laughs> what yeah. how's this gonna help us? Yeah. Um, Uh, Chris uh, Banta, who is the CEO at Romanus, um, uh, plays in a band called Brother Oh Brother that we met on the circuit. Uh, We actually were in St. Louis playing with our friends the Manus brothers, met those dudes. I realized that they were uh, also Hoosiers, so ended up just becoming pals around the scene, playing a lot of shows together. Um, We talked about Psychotropic on that label, but um, he didn't feel like he could sell it. It wasn't like his bag. Um, It's a more more aggressive music on the label like generally like fuzzy psychedelic garage kind of stuff um so we were like okay well we don't need to work with you but you're great like we like you let's be pals and uh then Adam started working at the label part time um while we were recording the first two songs from Skeleton Party uh he like leaked the demos to Chris and I was like don't show anybody what we haven't finished but uh Banta heard those songs and was like Whoa! This is different. I love this. If you can give me a record worth of this, then like I'll I'll put it out in a heartbeat. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, I was at, I was on helping uh, my parents paint a house, and I was like, hold on, I gotta take this call. And I just came back. I was like, Mom,
2: somebody wants to give us a record
0: deal. <laughs> just like, that's so cool. That moment was just like my heart's exploding. And um, so we went back and we we finished the album uh, over like six months or something, and it was uh, boy like. The pressure of like it has to be in by this time, or it's not coming out. And it was, but it was the fire that we needed underneath us to get it done. Um, And I love, I love the label because they are small, and we do have a personal relationship. I know uh, that they're invested in us, that they believe in us, that they uh, see our work ethic, and see when you work with a a startup or you know a smaller group, um, especially if you have. you know, if you you have chemistry, you jive, um, you're synced, you're synced up. Uh, then you, as you grow together, like every small victory that I have is a small victory for him, and vice versa. And mm-hmm. we are we're growing with each other. Um, and it it feels just it just feels nice to not be alone in the water with all the sharks. To have a buddy, you know, mm-hmm. um, somebody else that's looking out for opportunities for us to grow, or will call me and say, you know, hey, you just fucked up this post like go back in there and fix the video or mm-hmm. you know somebody that will uh you know uh met me at a record store in Indy yesterday to make sure we had enough vinyl before we went on tour um just having yeah. some family that's there to support that has True them. Advocate cuz he definitely yeah. knows um you know they've they toured like mothers but uh there's so much about the world of labels and about vinyl and about manufacturing and all that it's mm-hmm. another whole aspect of the business that has nothing to do with booking or nothing to do with networking. And so it's mm-hmm. also, uh, been a huge growth experience for us to get to work with him and see, some, just learning. I'm just learning more about it. I don't know. Learning with other hardworking, pure hearted DIY Hoosier boys.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's <laughs> cool. So that's cool. So ev- everyone involved in th- within your band and the record labels all from Indiana.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, technically, Adam was born in Ohio, but mm. he's been in Indiana since he was 18. Okay. Jacob and I were born in Florida, but we've been in Indiana since we were 18. Okay. For college? Mm-hmm. Did college and then, to- uh, toured for a few years and then came back to Indy. Yeah. Um, what part of Florida are you from? Jacob and I were born and raised in Vero Beach, which is halfway down the East Coast if you went to Orlando. Mm-hmm. And then you just drove two hours over to the Atlantic.
2: Mm. <laughs>
0: That's a town about as big as your neighborhood. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: What, what, what are your thoughts on Florida growing up there the first 18 years?
2: Oh,
0: my thoughts on Florida have changed so much over the years. Oh, my gosh. Uh, growing up there, thought it was the best in the world, loved it, so happy. But that's ethnocentrism. You just have no idea. You've never been anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I went everywhere, and I was like,
2: oh, fuck Florida.
0: <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had, you know, some real angsty things to say about it for a few years. Uh Then I went back with the band and I had grown up and a lot of the people that I knew there had grown up and the landscape was changing and it was like, oh, well, there's still wonderful parts of this and wonderful people here and beautiful topography and incredible natural resources. I was like, okay, I'm all right on Florida. And then uh, (coughs) sort of the fourth iteration of that has been I'm kind of obsessed with it again, um, but because of how complicated and Singular it is. Um, I am particularly fascinated by uh, this branch. I don't think it's like uh, I don't. I don't think it's been clearly defined uh, by critics or anything. But I've been finding so much literature, like postmodern literature about Florida or taking place in Florida, um, that has this very Southern Gothic timbre to it. The way that a Flannery O'Connor, Flannery O'Connor, like William Faulkner would, where it's like. The idyllic, genteel south, but a corrupt ripple beneath the surface. Um, I feel like if you go to just one or two more states down south and you get to Florida, you still have that sort of something. Is, it feels idyllic and sunny and sandy, but, like, there's corruption and darkness here just like there is everywhere else. And so because there's nowhere else in the country that is as uh, an amalgamation of bizarre, like... fact that you are in a swampy jungle that has big cats and alligators but then inland it's all you know uh cattle land and there's just as many cuban immigrants as there are good old boys and there's you know all the yankees that are in from the north and there's just no place like it and so it's so it's so growing up and thinking it's like the only thing and then leaving and seeing everywhere else being an adult and seeing how other people like uh Karen Russell and Lauren Groff and, um, Ariel Francisco write about it. Those are three books that I read just like in the last two years of people that are writing about Florida as like being really, um, beautiful and, uh, ex- exquisite in its, uh, I keep saying like singularity, but it's just such a particular combination of things that, mm-hmm. uh, I love to hear other people write about. So...
1: It's a really strange place.
0: Have you been have you been much or? uh three times okay. in
1: the last, you know, four years. Okay. Where'd um, you go? Four I've driven every time through, so on the on the cool. west part of it down to Fort Myers. Okay. And then across the Everglades to Miami. So I've done Wow,
0: that. so all the way down that's a long ass drive. Oh yeah. I drive a lot. <laughs> I love it. I like
1: I like road trips. I like seeing the world. Like yeah. for what it really is. I I've flown a few I don't fly much, but that's a different type of experience. That's also fun, but to see it all for what it really is. hmm it, uh, it's inspiring, it's fun to listen to music and just mm-hmm. see land change, yeah. see people change, see food change, music, all of it. Yeah. Florida's a weird place. It's like, weird. <laughs> you go there and you're like, where am I? Like, this, this is America? We're, like, it, the feel of it, the weather. I always say, like, the weather is amazing. You could feel what you want about uh-huh. the people and the politics and everything that comes with it. The weather is unreal like this is a
0: it's hard to live there in the summer and stuff oh man. I can't imagine I mean, it's like an oven for real like I, w- I was down there with um, my brother and Fred who's our TM right now and uh, we went down for just a week in June mm-hmm. and it was like we would walk from the hotel room to the van and you would just you'd have to change shirts yeah like, it was just years. soaked Oof. worst yeah. humidity it was yeah. the most humid in the world But
1: I've only been there like winter seasons well it's amazing to go in the winter like, January, <laughs> March like that's it that's yeah. when I usually go when I plan it because I have a friend there. And it's like I'm going
0: in January. I'm going in March. The, the first couple of years of touring, we would go do a week or two in Florida every January or February, strategically mm-hmm. to just dodge the shit weather.
1: Yeah. Do you plan that with any southern driving, like Texas, the, Louisiana? You try to do it more in the winter. The
0: first couple of years, that's exactly how we did it. Except one one year, we stupidly did New England in the winter, and it just took one time of doing that to be like, nope, not again. No, <laughs> no, no, not again. Um, but we haven't. Uh, we also haven't been. Uh, to the south in several years because one of the last big national runs that we did we felt that between Georgia and Arizona people really just weren't loving what we were doing Mm -hmm. I just played played a really depressing string of shows through uh, Alabama Mississippi Louisiana and Texas where I was like oh what why am I here like uh, we're doing the same thing that we always do but like the uh and I know this is just you know a limited experience set, but it did feel like people in Mississippi don't want to hear your band <laughs> <laughs> sometimes
1: um, it's true, like not every region likes every style right. or even has the same mindset of like going out to a show, yeah at a venue and getting yeah. a, getting a beer and buying a vinyl, like not every area certainly is not part every of that. city and i oh, I yeah. think
0: it would be I think it'd be unfair to like. Paint, because uh, listen, I mean, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the some future, you know, but like, I don't like Texas. I don't like it. Um, the whole state, it's a big state. I mean, I ha- I've had some good times there, and I got some good friends that I care about in Austin yeah. and Dallas, but like, um, it's hot. It's super Republican. It's super desert. It's, uh, I was, the f- uh, two times, I swear to you, two times, I've driven into Texas from another state, and the first time. I get out of the car at a gas station or something. Like the looks are one thing, but I swear to God, the first time I drove into color uh, into Texas from uh, Arizona or New Mexico, whichever one is there, got out of the ga- gas station, walked in and to a gas station, and everyone's smoking cigarettes and eating fried chicken inside of the gas station. And this guy uh, looks at me up and down and goes, "What are you from Colorado?" <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm just here to buy gas. I'm a human. <laughs> like
1: for those listening, you have. Explain your piercings to uh, so why I, someone would say that. Well, I
0: have that. sixteen facial piercings, yes. and I have a beard, and I have hair down to the you know, middle of my back. So I look. I guess
1: jewelry, tattoos, yeah. clothes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get the same thing, but it's a completely different
0: <laughs> thing.
1: It's it, no one says anything. They're just like, he's not from here. Yeah, in yeah. every way, shape, and form. Well, the you're not the from colors, here, the patterns, you. the sandals, the, the vibe. <laughs> yeah. They're just like we don't know what he is, but he's not from here. And you get looked up and down, up and down. Did you
0: do the sandals year round?
1: Uh, I mm-hmm. do them until. Pretty, I go pretty far with okay. it. I can do sandals from, like, March to November. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I run real hot. Real, I, had a,
0: I had a prof, like, one of the eclectic profs at, at AAU who uh, he was known for. Shorts, socks, and sandals year-round, like he did in the winter. Oh, the side
1: so- I don't rock sa- socks with the sandals. Yeah. It's strictly because I'm, like, hot. Yeah. Like, I need the least amount of material touching me. Hmm. It's like, I don't wear shirts under my shirt. I wear these, like, sh- pseudo-swimming trunks. Nice. Cause I just need to breathe. I'm yeah. always, like, steaming and... It sucks. It's probably a thyroid thing. I don't know, hmm. but I'm always hot.
0: I bring three shirts to every show that we play now because I'll usually sweat one down after load-in, and I'll definitely sweat one down like I was in a pool during the show, <laughs> and then I have to like go sell merch and talk to people and stuff, so I'll three yeah. shirts. And sometimes, in between playing, I'll be wearing a shirt and have my hair down, and then I'll get off stage, put on a different shirt, put on my eyeglasses, and put my hair up and be selling merch, and people will come up to me and be like, did you see that band, man? What do you think about that show? (laughs) And I'm just just like, oh, no, dude, they suck. They suck. I don't like them at all. (laughs) It's me from that band. I just look slightly different. (laughs) Like Superman over here. (laughs) Clark Kent mode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you always
1: sell your merch at each show? Like, you personally go by Uh, the table?
0: Generally have in the past, and I still will definitely make a attempt at least right after the set to be there to speak to because some people want to buy merch some people just want to meet you talk to you you sure um and i it's really important to me to remain accessible to our audiences and not to ever you know well i'm the front man so i exit off the back blah blah blah. i I dream of having that amount of privacy someday but it's like right now it's like for what we do this is still this is still the Bernie Sanders school of music tours like this is all about the one-to-one connections that we make with people um and it's very pure in that way still where it's like especially having built as much as we have without any other apparatus it's Mm -hmm. like dude everyone who likes our Facebook page is someone that one of us has met you know or or or, that's not really true but like that's how it feels a lot of times is that you know you're shipping out T-shirts from your house with stamps.com, and you're like, oh yeah, so and so, we met them at that show in yeah. Salem, Oregon, yeah. you know. And um,
1: but so, you know better than most. That's how you get to be that person that gets to exit out the back into a bus is by doing what you're doing.
0: I think that's I think that's the truth. And and just with the since this record came out, um, uh, we are always trying to you know keep things trim and slim and efficient. But we are traveling with a fifth man now, just as often as we can. Um, or just a fifth person, um, to help. Because uh, even if I am there after the show, if you have a person who is selling merchandise all night, people are going to walk up and talk and buy and whatever. And you can make two or three times as much money on T-shirts and CDs if you just have a human that's standing by the thing. Absolutely. And so having that and, like, some help with load and someone to help with pictures and that kind of stuff, just another ally for the band. And In this case, we're on this tour with our friend Fred Miller, formerly of the band St. Aubin, uh, today, he's kind of a uh, media mogul of Indianapolis. He does uh, photos and video for everyone that's cool. Uh, <laughs> but he's uh, he's like a brother to us. And so uh, we got him. Uh, he took some vacation days this week, and he's here just helping us stand by the merch booth, helping us, you know, Remember to take pictures of things, and it's he took some great photos. He's a great photographer. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: great. The the selling the merch, keeping an eye on stuff. Yeah, taking photos, an extra hand loading in. He helped drive
0: us here today halfway. Driving, everyone's like,
1: tired. He drives. Yeah. Like, no, that's great. That's it cool.
0: Is really we feel very. You know, it, it's such a huge help. Just great. Yeah, work. yeah. So yeah,
1: and what is the longest tour you've done? Like what, before coming back home, from when you left, when you
0: returned. Three months. Whoa. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first, the when we first started, uh, we did that, and then we took off two weeks, and then we did it again, and then we d- took off two weeks and did it a third time. So we were on tour for basically ten months when we first started doing this. When um, was this what year? I graduated from college in two thousand thirteen. So in the spring, uh, in May, and then we left on tour in June that's like the only time you can do it like 22, 23 oh my god dude people used to say to me all the time oh do it while you're young and I'd get so like no anyone could do this don't you know fuck that kind of thinking you could be doing this yeah, right now yeah. if you wanted to you should have to believe in yourself blah, blah, blah. like what a fucking 22 year old <laughs> moron dude I'm 30 <laughs> years old today and I'm like woof. Ten days, you know, uh, better uh, be stretching and make sure we have a lot of water and mm-hmm. you know safe place. No to joke. sleep. the body ages, dude. It ages the mind ages fast, bro. It's the difference between just two. Here's here's a crazy thing: psychotropic, pretty chill music, you know, mm-hmm. not not that uh, taxing on mm-hmm. the body. Skeleton party, we wrote. It was like, hey, let's uh, people would hear psychotropic. But see us live and go, wow! It's much more rock and roll live. We actually like you guys better live. So when we read the next record, we're like, let's just start there. Let's just start with rock songs, like, and then we'll raise the dynamic floor so that when we go live, we'll crank it up even more. And the first two shows that we played on Skeleton Party, I almost did myself in. I almost passed out. I was heaving off stage. I was. Uh, Lightheaded and just physically exhausted beyond being able to function anymore because I didn't know how uh, the music had, had amplified by a lot and then we'd also taken more time away from doing that than mm-hmm. ever. So I got on stage and, like, I was cardiovascularly unfit to play a rock and roll show. Yeah. Like, uh, you know... It, F- fell on stuff and after that we, we got <laughs> i started training i start like a re-upped my cardio regimen yeah. um hydration and stretching before the shows really pacing out you know if you're if you're drinking or any of that kind of stuff just like yeah, maybe have one or two but then wait until later because you it it's very physically demanding now to perform uh eight or nine songs that all have headbanging in them and running around mm-hmm. and throwing your guitar and all that kind it's of stuff. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's really belittling when those are just like, what are you, a musician? When you go on tour, like, what do you do for work? It's just like, you have no idea. To The, the mental and emotional stress of, like, writing on a song, composing it, recording it, mm-hmm. putting it out in the world and hoping someone likes what came out of your brain, mm-hmm. And then having the guts to like go around the world, around the country, uh, travel. I made this. Do you like yeah. it? Do you like it? You're not <laughs> sleeping well. You're in a van. Your back hurts because you're yeah. sitting all day for 12 hours driving yeah. from Colorado yeah. to Albuquerque. You, have to, you guys have a lot of gear. You have to load all so this much. gear, and every gear comes <laughs> in a case to protect it. So you could use it for years in your investment. And the, yeah. that, those cases are heavy, and they're bulky, yeah. and you bang your shin and hit your knee. <laughs> and you have to stretch over weird corners and go upstairs. I've and, done this before. What? What's You've up? done this before. <laughs> oh, I've done some things. <laughs> uh, it's exactly why I've been trying to be so healthy because the last Easy Fest I did, I was like, I almost died. I was like, this isn't so exhausting yeah. to put this on. And, well, it's not the main reason why I wanted to be more healthy, but it's part of it, motivation, to like yeah. do these sessions and drive down to ISU and then come do this thing and then work with that band and like, just stretch out mm-hmm. my body and mind to be able to do all of it. It's not the most physically, physically, physically demanding thing, like, I threw boxes at UPS for seven years. That that was brutal. Mm -hmm. But, it's, it, when you couple it with emotional stress and mental, and, Mm -hmm. like, spiritual, the whole thing comes together, and you're like, dude, I am, it's a lot harder than you would think, and like, yeah, running around, playing shows, changing clothes, then being, like, playing face, not playing face, but, like, Keeping your composure to talk yeah. to random 20 people and, and you don't know, right. to try to sell vinyl, right. pack it all up, get in a car, drive the next place. You don't really know what's going to happen, who's going to turn up. It's just like it's yeah. stressful, and that stress adds to the the pain of it. Like, what makes it hard? It's, it's a lot more difficult than people give it credit for. And it's very belittling and, and insensitive and rude when artists and musicians don't get at least their respect and, like, I wouldn't say praise. But, um, appreciation. And
0: recognition. Just, I mean... just want to be seen. Yeah, everyone
1: be... listens to this music. Like, the person in, in, in you know, the medical field, the person in STEMS who has a great salary, mm-hmm. works, you know, crazy hours, but could work nine to five, what are they doing in between all of that? They're listening to music. They're putting on, you know, Joshua Powell. They're listening to a podcast or going yeah. to an event to see a show. Like, that's what they do in their leisure time, right. but that's not leisure time for you.
0: That's what everyone else is working for to get to the point where they can enjoy media so they can go out and and have an artistic experience or whatever after they have taken care of their lower maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid base you know it's like yeah we worked so now we can go out to this concert or whatever and that's that's the work part for us yeah um like one of the last jobs i did before doing this full time wasn't just because i'm a musician right i was at a coffee shop and they were super flexible with my travels and everything and there was a regular that came in once and he was like, Well, how was your vacation? And I was like, I wasn't on vacation. I was on tour for two weeks. He goes, ah, you were playing, you're playing guitar. And I just I I couldn't, dude. I just like shut down. I didn't I didn't feel the need to correct him. I definitely uh. was like repressing the the visceral desire I had to to respond reactively. Mm-hmm. But I, I Whoa, I remember that from like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Somebody just, like you said, belittling or just demeaning. Yeah. Like, oh, you're just playing music. It's like, motherfucker, you have no idea what we
1: do. Yeah. And well, now, what you would do, what I would do, it I would, <coughs> if I was in that situation, like, sir, let's go sit at the table and I'm gonna talk to you and tell you everything I do and let's see if you can <laughs> do it or anybody you know can do it. Yeah. And we'll keep going on about it because you have no idea what that statement even means. Yeah. And it is it, the spectrum of creativity. This has been, this is a, an acid revolution I had. <laughs> Revelation, not revolution. <laughs> Revelation I had when um, I was, I, I did it maybe like a month or two months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to music in my living room. I was listening to Duke Ellington. And I saw the creativity and felt what it takes to compose mm-hmm. a song, specifically in that time window, mm-hmm. 1950s and to record it with the technology they used, and to put it out, and to feel the expression. Then I saw the paintings and artwork on the walls, and saw where that expression came from. Places mm. that I can't really do it, but I, could, I know what it feels like, because I create stuff too. I'm also an artist. And then I, it went further, and I saw the speakers, and the engineer mm. who had to design that, yeah. and come up with it, and figure out a way to mathematically have sound perpetuate itself out of a cone, based on a magnet wrapped with copper, you know, with a pole between it and make, creating, creating an electromagnetic field that in sympathy moves analogous to the voltage that was put into it based on sound. And that hit me hard. So mm. people always say, like, Oh, that's a scientist or where oh, that's an artist, where it's like, we're all, it, all it is is people trying to find different ways to express themselves. Mm. And we need all of it, actually. Yeah. We need all of it. The, the ceramics, like someone who dug to find the, the right amount of clay. To make this cup, mm-hmm. the person, the, te- 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 the technologist who made this cell phone, so we can put our music out yeah. and pull, go on Instagram yeah. and play shows. Like yeah. we need all of it. Yeah. So to think that one is more important than the other, it's very naive and selfish, and ignorant. It takes time to understand that you don't always need acid or mushrooms to realize no. this. But maybe just listening to someone talk about it, you get like, "Huh, I didn't think about it that way." Instead of being like, "Oh, they're just a writer." It's like, right. do you realize that written? Like, the written format has been groundbreaking for, like, the last, like, 500 years with the printing press. Like, it's, it's changed everything. It's why we know what we know now, because of reading. Yeah. Writing is important. Yeah. You know, poetry it's, is
0: important. It's so young in the scope of our civilization, too, in history, yeah. right? Yeah. It's crazy to think about. It is. It, it's it's unfortunate when people who work certain
1: jobs just, are like, it, it's it's the frustration of, like, the arts in, at a university, the funding it gets compared to STEMs. Yeah when it's like yeah stems is important Mm -hmm. like we do need that but like what do you do with the in between of existence the in between you know i i have this my own saying that art is the lubrication Mm -hmm. of existence and it's like what does that scientists do to keep their sanity while they're working for 12 hours in a lab Mm -hmm. they're probably listening to music I've, i've watched documentaries of surgeons putting on music yeah when they're cutting open someone's heart like you don't realize how important that songwriter is until you're doing a heart transplant. <laughs> hmm. And the person wants to listen to music so they can keep their focus and sanity and, and creativity in what they're doing by shaping and maneuvering a human body. And it's it's very important to have respect for the arts and understand that it's just as equally important as science in every way. You know, food. Food, it's called culinary arts like yeah. food is an expression too when you yeah. cook it, when you it makes people happy. You get into it. Let's try this with that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's... Do you do you ever run into that? Like, you you had that story about working in a coffee shop. Has it happened more recently? I think it it's adult? just a
0: part... It's a part of your... It becomes ingrained in the macro experience of doing arts occupationally or whatever because mm-hmm. you... Of course, we can... You and I can sit here as creative individuals and entrepreneurs and just have a, a complaining session about how <laughs> yeah. unjust it is, right? Yeah. And it's like, at a certain point, like, we have to allow ourselves that uh, space to vent, but at a certain point, it's not... Productive for me to fixate on that, no. or to think about like, oh, if only when when society is just, then I, you know, <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, take you take the bad with the good. You yeah. could have I'm I'm not doing this uh, out of any compulsion besides my own internal drive to say, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, we're gonna feel underappreciated. I think that's the graph that anyone who is trying to make a career in the arts has to beat back of like your own growth uh exposure wise like your the size of your audience is the graph is a line that's going up this way and then like your attitude is one that's going the opposite (laughs) way just because you become jaded when you feel like i've been doing this for so long and i thought it i thought more people would get it by now or appreciate it or um but uh that's just a man it's another manifestation of the ego of you saying oh i should be and it's like well just uh, Or just shut up and sing the song because you love the song. Exactly. Do it because you love it. Yeah. And
1: people love that. It's very genuine. It's authentic. And that that's the the beautiful epiphany of that experience on LSD, looking at the speakers, like realizing it's not a competition and one isn't better or something. Like you need all of it. Like to listen to music, you need the speaker. Yeah. To put to have something put through the speaker, (laughs) you need music. Like so it's we work. And this nice connection with each other, again, in sympathy with each other, you need all of it, and mm-hmm. that's why it's like. I guess my tone feels more like a, a complaint, but I'm really like I appreciate, like I, 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 I appreciate yeah. it. I'm happy for it that it that we have all of it.
0: Another thing I think that's pertinent to that discussion and to the context in which we find ourselves is I am such a huge uh, fan and just like intaker of podcasts. Mm-hmm. This like new media format that's. Not, I mean, we've had radio forever, but doing it this way, the explosion of podcasts that have come uh, in the last 10 years, I feel like, or even five years, like. uh, Yeah. But I think that with people having built podcasts into their weekly set of media intake, so much of this format is based on conversation. So many of the biggest shows are just charming guy, talks to other charming people every week, you know? And I think that it's an amazing medium for um, fostering uh, just like a culturally aware empathy. Like you listen to comedians talk about the work that goes into being a comedian. You listen to musicians talk about the work that goes into, or uh, I listen to a lot of um, both uh, On Being uh, from Minnesota Public Radio and the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, which is mostly these conversations with, spiritualists, shamans, magicians, priests, you know, <laughs> religious figures and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of that that is inundating sort of the podcast sphere. And I think it's an amazing, really available, very free resource where it's like if you have the privilege and space in your life to be taking in podcasts, it's like it's like going to college for free all the time when you're just driving around. Mm-hmm. You know? I, it's been uh, – I'm still a voracious reader, but – I've got about 20 shows that I listen to you know, at, at, when I'm at my best every week, mm-hmm. just, you know, things from the political sphere, things from the spiritual sphere. It's all right there. And you're, But you're learning about that attitude of it taking all kinds. And everyone, everyone in their craft has just as much care for it and baggage around it and thought that goes into it as I do, you know, mm-hmm. but you're not thinking about that chef living a rich internal life as a creative all the time, like you are the audio engineer, but, like, for her it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that might be the end of that thought. I don't really
1: <laughs> <remember>. <laughs> no, they, they've they they've changed everything, the format of podcast. Um Yeah, you can have educational ones, you can have goofy ones. I love to listen to all kinds. Sometimes I just want to laugh. I just yeah. want to laugh. I don't want to learn anything. I just want to laugh because yeah. I'm tired
0: and of... i learned so do much. Do you have, like, a stupid... Guilty pleasure sort of podcast that you like. Or?
1: I really like um Good for You with Whitney Cummings. Okay, I've because heard of Cummings, but I because uh, it's it's funny, it's goofy, but she's extremely smart, mm-hmm. and I learn a lot. I learn a lot about women, like cool. in general. Yeah, just not like in a platonic way, sure. like not anything just sexual. From female which, perspective yeah, just yeah. like you, when do I just sit around listening to two? Because she has a lot of female guests. Yeah. On? To women, just talking and being like honest and like explaining life, just yeah. talking about the littlest things, the biggest things. That's invaluable, man. It is. It is. A lot of guys might be embarrassed to listen to women. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> and I learn a lot. I learn a yeah. lot about myself as a man. Like oh, I didn't think about it that. No, way. Like I should probably not do that, or right. or maybe I should do that. You know? Yeah. So that one, and it's funny. I mean, she's a very famous comedian, so it's funny. Um, what's another really funny one? I always like to listen to. Um. I laugh a lot at Tom Segura related stuff. Okay. anything he does, I like. I like him as a guest on other ones because he's not, It's not as funny. He's more serious. Mm. But
2: um,
1: yeah. I just like to listen to, like different. Uh, Duncan Trussell one's great too. Mark Marin's one is good, but that one's pretty. Can get pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, all kinds. People refer ones. I'm like, yeah. I'll check that one out. Um, one I really like as of like the last six months is the Andrew Huberman podcast. It, he's a Stanford. Hmm. Professor of ophthalmology and neurology, hmm. and it's essentially like taking, you know, a neurology coupled with like bio and chemistry one hundred and one, you know, Stanford course. Awesome. Like every week for like an hour and a half. If you if you took notes, yeah, like on paper or a laptop, you really would be like taking course. And he even kind yeah. of admits that because he's a expert in that field. And That's I learned awesome. so much about diet and and exercise and light and sleep and nice and Health and, like, just anything with the mind as far as just being a, a better human. Yeah. And physically, which has been really helpful. Like, if you're trying to be healthier. Yeah. In any way, it's a very helpful thing. And he's really good about it. And he's so good about it that like if he makes a mistake and someone writes in the next uh-huh. episode, he like, oh, I made a mistake here and nice. he corrects it. So Love that. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's between that and, like, YouTube, you could kind of learn anything. Yeah. And <laughs> like yeah. someone's, like, I don't know how to fix that. It's, like, if you kind of know what a tool is, just go on YouTube. And so you can real. learn how to fix anything. It's so real. Right? It's it's pretty remarkable.
0: My dad apologized to me one time when I was in high school. He was like, I feel like my dad taught me how to be handy. He taught me how to use all these tools and stuff, and I've never really done that for you so much. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Like, uh, you know, you've been a good dad in all these other ways and stuff. And he's like, well, thanks, thanks. You know, I also figured you have YouTube, so. <laughs> I was like, YouTube, uh, our new father since 2005. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's true but as you know as everyone knows it's a lot better for learning when you are physically shown that like as a kid sure you can gravitate towards it you can learn how to if you learn how to use tools and fix things as a young kid you can start applying in other places mm-hmm. when you're like you know I never fixed the hinges on a door, but I have fixed this. So it's probably not too different. So I could probably figure that out. Yeah. Whereas if you just never did any of it and you're like, YouTube, but like, I don't even know what right. a power dr- drill is or how to change like the <laughs> torque on it. So like, you don't even know where to begin. and yeah. People get intimidated, you know?
0: Well, it all, it ties back to the idea of, uh, we had to take the ASVAB when I was in high school, which is like a military test that's designed to show where you would be, uh, uh, good vocational fit like it does there's 16 different intelligence sets so that it ranks close to an on. iq test yeah but it's more so like well if you're really good at math and you're not good at language and you're not good at being with people then we probably will gonna we're gonna put you into like this department should you be know? an engineer yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you should be
1: a mechanical engineer and that's so funny
0: mine was like you know it was had a high, like, high musical set and a high verbal set and a high interpersonal set. And I was like, great. So I would suck at uh, the military.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so funny that you say that because that sounds very similar to the IBM test that they administered in the early 60s. I, mm. I read this really disturbing book called Brotopia mm. uh, breaking up the boys' club in uh, technology, Silicon Valley, mm. talking about all the terrible things men have done to women in technology. Sure. It's bad. But how it all kind of started was in the sixties. They had a test like that where it's it essentially is geared towards men, maybe inherently, but also social in a in a social in a social way where men are taught in a social way to like be handy, be 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 stern, be this and that. And the test was pretty much saying if you are that, then you should be an engineer, which means most guys. So mm. it was kind of excluding women. Yeah. Even women who would be good engineers, they're just they weren't raised to be that way, so when they took the test, it didn't right. really skew towards them. It uh-huh. went away from them, yeah, and kept them away. And the test was made by similar people sure. who just kept breeding.
0: So it more looks and more it men. has the appearance of not biased because you're just like, look, you just took the test, yeah, but the test is designed by men. You yes, know? so it's it, by
1: men to think a certain way based yeah. on social norms and possibly even just like natural biological things, which aren't always the case, so you don't always have to go base on that. Mm. But I would say way more towards social reasons, not really inherent ones. But that um, was kind of the beginning of what created such issues in in, in having an unbalanced of female presence in technology. Mm. And then there was other things like, um, I forget the model's name, but I think it was 1972, the first digital printer. The engineers wanted to use something colorful that cover covered the color spectrum. So what they use? They used the fen- centerfold of a Playboy magazine mm. of a naked woman. And that was the first wow. digitized printed thing ever. Just have and their excuse was like, we were just looking for the full color spectrum. It's like, really? Yeah. I'm sure you could have found that in a National Geographic photo yeah. of like a flamingo or something right. in Florida. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like why you had to choose a naked woman? Like yeah. it set the standard. Just building in patriarchy yes. jump. yes. Yeah. And... Reading all that, I was just like, "This is insane!" And what women had to go to, mm. like the the lengths they had to go to, the suffering to just have a voice, and it's still bad, it's still mm-hmm. really bad. But um, yeah, it's that. So that test you mentioned kind of remind me of that. Yeah, it's weird because you put people in a box based on a test, and like I'm terrible at tests, oh. so bad. Yeah, at exams, I never did well in high school with the standardized test the ACT, all of that. It's not how I learn. I learn through. Like
0: we don't come standard. <laughs>
1: Did you did you do okay with those tests or they also feel a little... well,
0: thing the thing is with that test it's not like a traditional IQ test cuz it's not really ranking you on the scale of well, yeah you're saying like you're bad at math or you're good at math it would kind of have the holistic approach to intelligence sets to be like yeah you're kind of bad at math but like you're really good at spatial reasoning you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it it have it would show you like where cuz everyone's gonna be kind of better at some one out out of 16 things yeah and so um i don't know it was one of those first things any test like that has a certain amount of benefit and a certain amount of danger that's intrinsic to it Uh, if you look at the myers-briggs test or uh what's the uh fucking number one uh uh, people are like, "Oh, I'm like a w- uh, three wing four. um oh, the
1: one about personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I've heard the name the technical name uh, for it. there's um, the the love language one and the personality one drives me crazy. There's <laughs> love language
0: ones. even even <laughs> those people ones drive who, me nuts. I'm not uh, I'm sh- I am hundred percent sure that our bodies and stars and stuff definitely interact. But for people to be like, well, you're this way because you're a Taurus. um oh, like astrology. and those those things are. I think a really useful tools for us at a younger development stage of our uh, identities because we're, we're grasping for hallmarks of identity to be like, I'm a musician and I'm good at this and here's who I am. So like when I was 18 and I was like, oh, I'm an INFP. So I can start to go, okay, so that's why maybe I'm this way because of a, introversion is this and intuition is this. And you begin to develop your lexicon of emotional intelligence and the ways that you uh, are taking conscious and subconscious steps to present your identity to the world. Um, but it's just so fucking easy for us to uh, get in these neuroplastic canals and then to buy a narrative for ourselves about like, well, I'm this type of person, yeah, which is almost always harmful because it's taking away from your uh, your ability to be culturally androgynous or your ability to uh, be fluid and to adapt and to to respond in ways that aren't so reactive based on a a preconceived set of concepts that you, you know, wrote into stone tablets for yourself. Yes. I remember really early on in, like, college when I began to manifest symptoms of depression and anxiety and stuff, there was such a cognitive dissonance because when I would be crushed by the weight of a depressive episode, just have this, like what's your problem? This isn't you. You're a happy guy. You're a peaceful guy. And that's the story I'd given myself. It's like, I'm a happy, peaceful guy because that's how I had experienced a lot of things. And then I had these other elements in my life that were not hallmarked by happiness or by peacefulness. So it fucked me up on who I thought I even was because it's like, well, today you're not a happy guy. You're not experiencing happiness, which means you are by definition not a happy guy. Yeah. It turns out that you need to broaden your self-evaluation the way that you the way that you see yourself understand yourself or the the breadth uh, the flexibility the compassion that you give yourself if you if you the way that you are acting does not line up with your self-concept it's like hey maybe the, the you that's there is bigger than this one thing and that mm-hmm. you should you know uh, accept those moments of fluidity of going well maybe maybe there's a broader set of emotions with which to engage here or a concept that I had not yet built into my the narrative for myself that like age or maturity or um, improving health or whatever is presenting me with. Um, it's just very tempting to, once we tell ourselves a story, it's hard to change that story because mm-hmm. we feel like it's ours. Yeah, it's, like,
1: it's a sense of identity. Yeah, You get used to it. You know, the classic ones I hear a lot with in the world I live in Musicians, artists, students, friends. You hear a lot of, well, I'm this, so I can't do that. I'm anxious. Right. I'm anxious, so I can't. It's like, first of all, these days with this device, I'm pointing to a cell yeah. phone, those listening, yeah. everyone is anxious. Right. And I'm not saying some people aren't. Some people are way more than others. Sure. I've met them, and <clears throat> it's very real. And anxiety attacks are very real, and it's no joke. But that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who get into a smaller spiral, not the main one that takes you down and you need to be medicated but the one where just kind of a small spiral and you just latch onto that train Mm -hmm. and you don't want to let go and you're like "Uh, well i'm I'm anxious so therefore i can't do that i'm introverted therefore i will will not go out it's like you could be you can get your energy like you could feel loved and good alone and that's Mm -hmm. what i believe a true introverted person is but it doesn't mean you can't hop on an avenue or go down that canal once in a while and like try just try something different you never know what could happen but if you build that up, I do it all the time where I'm tired. I don't feel like going out. And then before I know it, it's like I haven't gone out in like a month. Yeah. I haven't gone anywhere. Right. And that feels bad. And you're like, or does it? And you start to get <laughs> in your head like, but, but this is me. I'm an introvert. I'm supposed to right. stay in. And it's like it could be – it can have a lot of negative, you know, outcomes. And I think it can rob potential. Like yeah. when you were saying earlier, there's a lot of potential – if you become fluid with just yes and no's and going there and trying this, just trying something new, you never know where it can bring you. It's pretty remarkable where it can bring you if you just keep saying yes to something. Even if it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm sure you seem like an outgoing person. Maybe you've had to train yourself to be that way because of all the touring and the shows and being a front man and meeting people and and doing interviews, all that. Mm -hmm. It kind of forces you to would you say you're more like introverted extrovert if you could take the two where would yeah. you lo- like land as far as what you where you feel naturally comfortable
0: it, it is uh it has been a fluid journey it has been a i was i was born extroverted i came out of the womb ta-da
1: <laughs> i made it yeah like
0: i'm here everyone um and that's kind of i mean i uh it's how i felt most of my life uh until around about college, which is also the first time I started uh, having manifestations of mental illness or whatever. Mm. Um, but also, <clears throat> I know that like my freshman year of college was the most extroverted time of your life. You're in a new place. You're 18 years old. Everyone could be your best friend at that point. So I did a year of that. And I was I just loved being in college so much. And then I went home for the summer and I worked uh, three jobs because I went to a private school and I... Uh, I had some scholarships but I didn't have any help from my family or anything I just needed to pay for school so I always worked like a banshee and uh I'd get up at 5 30 and go work one job until about two or three in the afternoon and then I'd go to my other job at 3 30 and work till nine and that was like each day for the summer and after a summer of that I went back to school and I was like oh I'm so starving for this I can't wait to go see all my friends and everything and I first night back in Indiana I went to a house party and it was like a Uh, mind fuck i was just there i was so uncomfortable my expectations were not met at all i felt like a fish out of water just an alien experience i was like why is this not why do i yeah and so spent a little while in the cognitive dissonance of that of telling myself but you're this kind of guy right and it's like well no you're a a person and you're being cellularly regenerated on a loop and you're having any you know any time that you're talking with somebody else there's makeup of your bodies that's exchanging in the room like you are always evolving you are always changing so you know allow allow that to not be scary and just say well i guess i'm changing you know i guess that being 30 it's harder to tour than when i'm 22
1: mm-hmm. um what do you think it was that did that to you what do you think it was time i spent a or you lot of time
0: alone i spent a lot of time and yeah. in, in those in those jobs it was like i was technically alone Cause I was just, but I was having all these little surface interactions, just, you know, like one of the jobs I worked was at Chick-fil-A. And so you would just have, you're in the food service. People come up to you. Mm-hmm. You're not a human. You're, you're a cash register, yeah. but you have to be nice and you have to be friendly and, uh, you say my pleasure and shit. Um, mm-hmm. and so you do that for a day without having any like real meaningful human interaction. And it's just like, It's exhausting. Uh, So something shifted there, and then I spent the 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 next season of my life going, "Wow, I guess I'm introverted." But the work that I want to do makes me have to be the face and everything. So first couple years that we went on tour, again, 22. So yeah, I can get real banged up and still heal. You know. Yeah. But uh, those first two years, we were so displaced, like we didn't have safe, good, consistent places to stay and sleep. And um, we were burning the candle at both ends, playing like seven shows a week. Um, and I I began to get really sick and uh, was about 60 pounds heavier than this. And I was like a borderline alcoholic and I was depressed all the time um, because I wasn't taking care of myself at all or giving myself the space I needed as an introvert or exercising or doing anything but just smashing PBRs and Taco Bell every day um came back to Indiana and began to build out healthy practices to make this sustainable going okay I'm going to play fewer shows and make sure they're better I'm going to still drink a lot of beer but not that much beer and I'm switching over to Miller Lite and uh you know just making these little changes that would make it more long-term sustainable And these days I don't no I don't believe in introverts or extroverts I don't believe in <laughs> Good or bad, I think that everything is on a spectrum and that it's all gray, right? Um, just like very anti dualism. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I I tend to skew introverted. When I when I'm not on tour, I realized this last week that there were two days where I was like, I did not leave my property today. I did not walk out past my mailbox. And yeah. I didn't even realize it. I was just I was fine. I was having a nice time. I like to be alone. I like to read. I love my cat. I love my house. It's very peaceful, and I have all the stuff that I like there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I find meaning in others. I find that the most rewarding experiences I have are all based on friendships, connections, relationships. Um, and then my and and my other meaning sources are art. I love my music. I love to do this work. And so both of those are all about being with other people. Mm-hmm. And so these days, I experience both poles within myself. Um, And I try to practice balance and, you know, have a yin-yang heart that says, right now, Fred, I'm going to have you talk to these merch people because I'm not in the best place. I'm going to go sit in the car. That's what I need for me tonight, you know. Mm -hmm. But if I go sit in the car for me right now, then maybe I will have the moxie tomorrow to go back out and to be the, the courageous front man with the most charisma or whatever. It's just... I'm a person and I have both of those inside of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which wolf are you going to feed? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out both of them need feeding. <laughs> yeah, both need feeding
1: and and both are very important I think. I think a lot of people um maybe f- skewed towards the introverted. I've heard way more introverted now than ever in my life and I think it's because again I'm holding this device, this smartphone
0: reactive to the inundation of social you media. You just want to get out of there. We and used I, to live in tribes. We used to live in yeah. small villages where you'd know 50 to 100 people for the whole time you're alive. Yeah, that's it. And now you're expected to remember everyone that you met at a show in Bloomington, Illinois, <laughs> yeah. five years ago? Yeah. Which, like, I do, and we're staying with Trenton tomorrow. but <laughs> <laughs> That's but neither here nor there. But, um, yeah, but it's like that sort of... Uh, I it's feel, a lot of pressure. Dude, and I can't even imagine for fuckers who aren't even in bands and stuff. Just You're just a human being that, you know... That works at Chick Fil A, but you still have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook yeah. and an email and Snapchat and TikTok, and it's like you kind of you gotta live your whole life on this thing, or none of it almost like unplug, or mm-hmm. I don't know. The balance of trying to manage "quote unquote" social networks is something that we're gonna be reading science on for the rest of our lives. They're starting is, to
1: finally have data on it. Enough. It's crazy. It's really bad. Um, it's not looking good, and I think the effects on younger boys and girls Mm -hmm. uh more specifically girls it's not good yeah the the filters the looks the showing showing your body yeah trying to keep up with other you know model-esque bodies it's um it's really in your face before it would be like a tv commercial yeah a movie or like you have a magazine.
0: The filters are the most fucked up part to me.
1: Oh, I can't stand them. I think they're disgusting. Dude, I was... No I, offense to anybody who uses them, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do not like the filter. If you filter your face, you're a bad person. <laughs> I, <No. laughs> I just don't... I mean, I get it. Yeah. I just don't get it. But I get it. I know what's, go, I know what's going on there.
0: I don't get it on... But I don't uh, get it. You know... Uh,
2: but maybe
1: men aren't supposed to get it because we're allowed to be like, look at these beards. Like, look at my, <laughs> like, we're allowed to be a little like, Rugged, but you know what? I moisturized today, so screw oh, anybody nice. who thinks like, oh, they could do that. It's like, hey, I worked
0: I, out. And- I trimmed this part before I go on tour because the neck uh. beard gets really dense, and I'm, a lo- I'm like, this part's um, you know rustic. Yeah, right? I don't want to have an itchy neck. Yeah, dude, I was uh, I'm recently unpartnered, and so I was on Tinder, and I was just flipping through there the other day, and it was a mind fuck to be like, these are thirty year old women that have all pictures with their face of like. The blush and like the little mm-hmm. butterflies and mm-hmm. stuff. I'm like, we, this is a filter. We all know this is a filter. Like, I'd like to see <laughs> is this is what we're doing. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do that because, like, I have these wrinkles in my face. Yeah. I earned them from touring <laughs> and whiskey. And, like, you're g- they're never going to go away. It's well, the filter be- started a
1: while ago with foundation, blush, makeup, sure, mascara, sure. The filters have been going on for quite some time.
0: Well, I mean, as long as uh, there's there's beautification in, in, you know, really early, like, you know, quote unquote primitive cultures, there's, yeah. you know, all sorts of, body mods and stuff that yeah. people have always done. That's not inherently bad. but no. It's just, like, the acceleration of it with youths, with, like, how, I mean, kids are kids are born now and are handed an iPhone, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, so it's, like...
1: And co- when you come out of the womb, they're like, here's your iPhone. They, yeah,
0: we don't stand a chance. We got the
1: Max Pro. We're ready for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's get him started young. It, it's, uh, it's scary, and there is definitely a difference between a filter on Instagram and some makeup. Sure. I'm being a little... Facetious with that one, but yeah, there is definitely a difference. It is definitely uh scary, it's a problem. I personally don't understand it. I don't, I've always been one to be like, you know what, if you sleep well, eat well, groom yourself, yeah, then like what else do you need? Just be yourself. But some people, I don't know, it's become so normalized that it's like maybe a lot of people feel like if they're not doing it, it's Mm. weird. I don't, I don't understand it to be honest.
0: The biggest hangout for me there that's tough to reconcile is just I would tend to agree with you I'm just really uncomfortable prescribing that to anybody else yeah because I lived the majority of my life under a prescriptive ideology that was all about uh bringing other people into that fold yeah. and about like getting people to believe the way that you believe yeah and so I still believe some stuff very strongly I got some ideas that I'm pretty fucking sold on <laughs> yeah but um in order for for me to tell you about them and much more so for me to ha- enter into a dialogue with you where I'm trying to convince you of the rightness of my perspective. Very hesitant about that. That's why when yeah. you asked me before we started the show, like, is there anything that you don't want to talk about? <laughs> I said, like, well, I know I like the adventure of having nothing that we won't uh, yeah. touch. But I also, you know... If you wanted me to start getting really into the weeds about like, well, what are, you, what are your spiritual truths? It's like, well, <laughs> I, I have some, but I don't really want to talk about them because yeah. I know that there's going to be people, um, probably very few. But I know there will be some people that listen to what I say and like put stock in it and think, you know, like yeah. well, well I, yeah. I think he's, he seems you know, like a mm-hmm. thoughtful guy. And I was like, I don't want you to know what I think about that. <laughs> I want you to go read the books for yourself because you like – Make up your own mind. I'm not for sure I'm not right. Okay, I might be like, partially right, kind of right about some stuff, or good and unharmful about some stuff, but it's just like, eh, I told everybody what I believed for like 26 (laughs) years, and now I'm like, that's not important. It's really not important. No,
1: but a conversation to bring up any thought is important. Like, I'm not saying that I don't, I think the filters are bad, people who use them are bad. I just don't get it. Like, I'm confused by it, and I'm concerned about like where it goes. That's all. But... If someone uses them, it's like, whatever. It What it really just comes down to, it's like, oh, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Like, if I'm interested in a person, it's probably, for me, knowing Ben, like, the yeah. way I know myself, it's probably someone that's not using the star heart face. Right, right, It just right. isn't. But if someone else is using yeah. it and someone else likes it, then whatever. Yeah. Do what you want. Like, I don't care. That it doesn't bother me.
0: Whatever, do what you want, I don't care, is what I want people to write on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Will it fit? Can you afford one that fits? Do whatever. Well, I don't it'll care. fit
0: easier than Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. <laughs> I remember
1: when my friend Ashley was making those banners yeah. for the sides of the stage. She oh. was like, "I can't fit it properly. It's <laughs> messing up everything."
0: <laughs> yep, uh, story of our first uh, many years <laughs> as a band.
1: Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, at the end of the day, I I'm really uh, I really bring up things as like a, a concerned person who shares this planet mm-hmm. that has 31 years of my own experience but I really don't as long as you're not hurting anyone I don't really care if you want to dress a certain way show certain parts of your body do certain things with it show certain filters it's like that's it's not my cup it's not right. what I'm attracted to as a person a coffee guy I'm a coffee guy, <laughs> a coffee guy. <laughs> exactly if you got coffee I'm all there. Like platonic or romantic, I'm not really attracted to that. But yeah. that's like me. Like if someone else is. There's a 7.8 billion of us. Someone's attracted. Like it just isn't yeah, for me.
0: Yeah. There's some. Yeah. Somebody. Somebody for everybody. Right. Have you? Uh, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> have you? <been laughs> have you? Um, are you familiar at all with like the the Satanic Temple or the um, not occult Satanism, but like uh, pagan Satanism or secular Satanism at all, and like their tenets? No, but
1: I'm intrigued.
0: Great documentary on Hulu. I'd recommend. I can't remember the name of it, but if you look up, yeah, you know, Satanic Temple. There's not that many current documentaries about that. <laughs> uh, a really enlightening part of the doc is that they have a couple of the leaders share. Um, these are these are our tenets. Like these are like our version of the Ten Commandments or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they are fascinating. It is really hard to poke a moral hole <laughs> in these tenets because um so much of like the uh affront of people who claim the yoke of satanism is really about uh the stigma like it's all, many people all, almost all the satanists that I know or have met don't worship satan they uh they are pluralists who believe in in um dismantling um a religious monoculture, like taking power away from a prevailing cultural force that's seeped into every aspect of life in the West. And for them the element of blasphemy about it is almost this tool of uh uh cultural provocateurship of just being like, this is so against the grain mm-hmm. that like by saying we're Satanists, like you're gonna people are gonna perk up their ears and like So engage, the word is almost like a front. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, m- m- most pagan Satanism is really a humanistic religion that yeah. just is about your own agency, your own value, your own happiness, and those around you, making sure that you are contributing to a culture in ways that don't cause harm, but that does uh, elevate your personal freedom and agency. And mm-hmm. I was, um, yeah, I'm not a Satanist, but there's a lot of them that I listened to, and I was like, hey. You're all right. (laughs) We could be pals. I would
1: listen to that if there was, like, a podcast. I'd like to hear someone talk about it more in an intimate way, being upfront with it. Yeah, I'm not... I have been learning... I mean, I've always... Maybe the last 15... Like, half my life is more specifically the last, like, couple years. Like, I'm really not married to any ideas. Like, Mm. I, I might say something, like, yep, that's what I think. And then maybe you say something that has a new vantage point on it that counteracts it, I'm like, huh,
0: yeah, hey, you're right. I yeah. was
1: completely wrong. Okay, cool.
2: And you I don't know, even think that anymore. <laughs> and
0: nothing got lost there, man. It's no, not I learned a, something. It's not a, it's not something to mourn or, you know, like, oh, well, I thought I was sure, and now I'm not. It's like, yeah. congratulations, bud. Yeah. Like, that's fantastic, because you can't know. You yeah. won't know. Yeah. So if you thought you knew beforehand and this made you go, oh, I didn't know, like, that's valuable, reminding yourself mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, dude, it's just your best guess about stuff there's really yeah that's a another thing about like uh being a part of a religious movement versus being sort of a floater like a religious pluralist or whatever um it's just uh when you're in a a monoculture then when some something gets <laughs> poked a hole in it 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 is disastrous you're worried about the entire thing and uh these days I'll hear a Buddhist idea and I'm like, wow, that's really beautiful. I'm going to use that for the way I think about stuff for Mm -hmm. a long time. And then I will, uh, learn an element of like a a paganist witch ritual or something. And I'll go, that's really beautiful. I find a lot of meaning in that. And then be able to, uh, ingratiate that into my practice or my framework. But it's not the, the distance between these two ideas no longer, uh, shakes my foundation or like takes it, like causes me any fear or anxiety because I, We'll never have the objective answer until I have slipped this mortal coil. And then perhaps <laughs> not even then. Likely not even then. I just won't be able to worry about it anymore. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. No, it's... I think... So you, you grew up religious. Yeah. as well in a Protestant church, non-denominational. So, Same. Yeah. School, vacation, school. Same. You know, uh, camps, uh, youth groups, ev- the whole thing. The whole shebang. So, having a new. I knew that, I recognized you. <laughs> I saw you <laughs> at one of those revivals. <laughs> Slapping the Bible. I saw it. A <laughs> lot of religion. Yeah. And a lot of it was fun. A lot of it was, when, when a kid, it's like, oh, here's cookies and play some games. Dude, and we'll do like one Bible verse. <laughs> these group's the highlight of the week. It was fun. Yeah. I used to love it. Again, it was like 2% Bible, 98% fun. Games. Well, how else mixers, do you get kids to, to yeah. care about? Thou, and he spiked me. To, it's like no eight-year-old. I'm like, I really want to know more. Please tell me another story that I've heard a million times. But I think with that surrounding and upbringing, it's really nice now to be further removed from it, but still understand a lot of the value. Oh, yeah. The stories, why they are there, why there are so many that overlap in all yes. the other religions and cultures yeah, across the universe. Absolutely. Um, that The classic allegories and, and tropes and, and, and outcomes they go into novels and Disney movies now. It's everywhere. Yeah. You know, good, bad, and the ugly. And um, it's, it's interesting now being removed from it, but still understanding it and seeing the importance of it. Yeah. Realizing like you said earlier, like, I kind of, you know, I'm not married to anything, so I'm okay with changing ideas. But sometimes it's nice when you have an idea. And you're like kind of eh in about it. And then you start to realize, like, oh, it actually is right. Or someone yeah. helped me understand it's better. And you fall more in love with, like, not in a narcissistic way, totally. but like, man, that's really solidifying. Like, that makes sense. I really like that. Then you get to a certain point, and you're like,
0: but is that right? Dude, having that discernment is so key yeah. because I am uh, more so, if not the same, more so compelled. By the person of Jesus today than I ever was mm-hmm. when I was like a dyed-in-the-wool evangelical Protestant,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: because at that point you're experiencing it as this empirical thing, um, very black and white, very mm-hmm. like no, this is the there's no options, there's no second guessing, um, and dude, I've done the circuit, I've I've read the other texts and exposed myself to other thinking, and uh, you know I. I have deprioritized belief as an element of my spirituality because belief is just your best guess about what you don't know and put a lot more focus on praxis and, and how I am being the fruit that's on my tree because uh, that has real world observable measurable effects um, versus like uh, so is Job metaphorical or is it literal? Like that does, doesn't fucking matter,
2: dude. Yeah.
0: Um, the truth of the Job story is there whether you believe in uh, it happening or not, which – like, like Probably didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably not. But uh yeah, I mean Jesus as a as a a model of selfless love, as a, a teacher, you know, someone who uh, upset cultural biases and elevated the marginalized people, it's like, yeah, that shit was the sauce. Like there's not really a better way, uh that yeah. I've found. And so it's nice to come circle back around to that and say, Hello, old friend. Like yeah. thank you for still being here after I uh, you know, went to went out and, and came back and uh but the worst part about
1: jesus not jesus himself but the people who overly follow mm-hmm. christianity or any religion is they're not even that jesus like they end up being so rude sure and they start belittling others and if you're muslim or catholic you're going to hell and you don't yep. get a chance in my book, it's so extreme Yep. Instead of being forgiving and talking and right. trying to understand where that person's coming from. Instead, you just instantly just attack because they're not like you.
0: I'm sure that's not unique to Christendom, right? No. I feel like I think we that's, see I've, that. Because, I'm just saying from my perspective right, growing up. And we're in America that has like been m- yeah. mostly Christian for sure. most of the time. Yeah. And so it's really easy for us to look at the culture uh, around us and mm-hmm. to look at... Um, the people that were shitty to my family at the church that we went to when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, the idea of Republican politicians today being, like, the hallmark leaders of the church movement. And people, like, looking at a person like the last president being like, this is our—this is who got picked. And it's just like, fucking not the God that I know about. (laughs) No, Um, no, not at all. (laughs) But, uh— yeah, so it's easy to look at the Christians that are the loudest in culture today. And yeah, be like oh, they're so unchristlike. And it's like I'm sure that in other places they're doing that. For I'm sure that in China they're like, Dad thinks he's such a great Buddhist, but he's you know yeah. <laughs> here yeah. he is being an asshole. Yeah, you know? it is
1: relative to your culture um, and your time. It, it's it just reminds me when I was a kid. Like I can remember sitting around f- with friends or family in a Christian setting, and someone just bringing up like. Oh, well, they're, you know, they're Catholic, so, like, they're going to hell. Like, yeah. kind of in a mean way. I'm yeah. like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. No pun intended. Like, why why, why so hostile? Like, why mm. not talk to that person? Mm-hmm. Have a conversation. Be more Jesus-like. Yes. Be forgiving. Or, like, the backstabbing and non-forgiving. You're like, I thought you were a Christian. Like, why are you being so mean? Right. Like, that's the whole point, is to be c- forgiving. Like, literally forgiving So much so that if you do believe it, Jesus and God, the Trinity, the whole thing, the whole entity forgave you for your sins, Mm -hmm. like gave you salvation. So like it's very – you're being a hypocrite.
0: It's (laughs) that parable from the Bible in which the debtors are – supposed to be killed for the debts that they've accrued by the king, and the king forgives them of their debts and le- releases them from debtor's prison. And then immediately one of the debtors goes back to, you know, he owed like a thousand or whatever, and then he goes back to somebody in town who owes him a hundred and says, you have to pay me, you know? And, yeah. and, and, uh, and then... Uh, eventually, like it gets back to the king, and the king's like, "Hey, like asshole, you're back in
2: prison. Yeah. Like, I forgave
0: you a thousand, and you went out to hold that hundred over somebody yeah. else. Like you've been forgiven of so much, and you can't extend somebody else the courtesy to forgive them in, in turn. Yeah, um, that's ego right there. Yeah,
1: that's like, well, I'm better than you because of this.
0: Big game. main character energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is my. I don't know.
1: Ego's everywhere. It it, it comes through religion. It comes through art. It comes through science. It comes through technology. It's a problem. It's a problem that I try to not silence, but open up. Like literally crack it over, pour it out of my mind and try to try to understand it and have the conversation. Be like humbled by something. Like, man. Like I, I really felt it driving across Colorado to Utah hmm. through the mountains there. I was like, I do not matter. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, what a wake up call. I was like,
1: dude, I am nothing. Like this massive desert basin, like 300 miles of nothing like salt old ocean floor and you're just in this little car and you're like wow and this is just one place
0: on this one planet in the one
1: solar system in the one galaxy in this maybe one universe it's like I really don't matter but therefore everything does matter
0: and you can get that feeling from time the same way too where you're like maybe 60 years you know and then like you look at at your experience in the timeline versus the timeline you're like doesn't doesn't matter like no you know or it does. But everything that's what
1: makes does. everything matter to right. me. It's like because right. it doesn't, right. it is this. The only time I truly feel like it's a miracle, it's like it is meaningful how random this all is because it could not happen. Mm-hmm. We all know, sadly, of a story of a stillbirth or SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, someone not making it past two, or leukemia at five, or someone living to 105. Like, mm-hmm. because of like, it could have been you, it could have right. been me. Like, why not try to understand and live in this moment and and do things you enjoy? Like, I cannot express myself. I have to always be expressing myself Mm. through conversation like this, Mm -hmm. you know, recording downstairs, engineering something, videography, editing together, figuring out the lights, the audio, the layout, um, reading a book, writing a poem, playing music. I band practice last night. I have it tomorrow night. Like, going down to teach kids, like... Wearing whatever feels comfortable on me. Yeah. I mean, making food, going on a hike, seeing nature. Like, I don't know any other way because I don't like being in near death experiences. Also, just hearing so many sad stories from so many people who never made it, or died tragically, or or went through a, you know an imprisonment camp. Like whatever sad story it is, I am grateful that I don't have that sad story like mm-hmm. that. And anything that almost killed me, I survived. Whether it's a semi truck tire exploding on I eighty and I dodged it to major head surgery as a baby, to, you know, jumping off cliffs and almost hitting rocks. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'm here, and, like, I need to live in this moment. Yeah. You know, I need to try to always just be myself and learn and not be beholden to anything, not, you know, forgive myself for my mistakes, forgive those who have made them. There's there's not a person on this planet I'm, I hate or have hatred towards, even people who have done hard or harsh things to mm-hmm. me or those around me you s- after time if you f- if you learn about it and think about it and juxtapose it against who they might have been, who you were, you realize mm-hmm. it was just a mistake, yeah, and it's a mistake based on something that happened to them that they weren't telling you, and they right. did something, and you're like, oh like i' I'm, I'm, I'm I feel bad that I was even mad about it
0: like, right because they're probably just reenacting their own trauma, yeah,
1: yeah, really even some bad stuff, you're like you know there are some pretty rough stuff, you're like I don't know what to do with that when it gets to Serious crimes, sure, I never know like the moral ground about pedophilia or rapists. I'm just like that's yeah, a hard one it's
0: a bit of a mind fuck. it really is yeah. to, to because i you know I can put up with a lot of shit, like negative shit, but there's certain uh i mean the the problem of evil is is the basis of philosophy courses forever for a reason right mm-hmm. like how what is this? Wow, how can we who? know how to be so good to one another, um, have the capacity to be so nurturing to one another. How can we also be such monsters? And the, the scariest part of it is, like, the most fucked up thing is, like, I, I used the we pronoun there and, like, meant it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not a rapist. But, like, neither were the people that became those things before they did those things. And if yeah. anyone has that capacity, we are all uh, equally able to tap into those things, like, wouldn't <laughs> Why do I keep thinking about the stupid wolves?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know.
1: I don't know. I Pedophiles and rapists, that's a hard one because it's so unnatural in every way. In every way. Because you can't, like, as a human being, even if you believe in religion or evolution, it doesn't matter or anything in between. To propagate your your DNA and your seed, you have to have sex with someone who is, can actually, like, went through puberty. Right? Yeah. So, like, naturally, right. fundamentally, in your bones, it doesn't make sense. So something, right. the wiring got crossed. Right. In in utero, at birth, it doesn't matter. It, that coupled with ab- abuse, I don't know what it is, but something isn't right. Like, they're naturally like that. Mm. And, I, I mean, I can't say that for sure, but it seems to be. Yeah, like, someone is naturally no, like idea. that. And then I'm like, man, what? the worst like what if you were born that what if you're born schizophrenic like the worst cards to be and that's oh, yeah, another yeah. thing like I'm glad I'm not those things and that's why I have to live. I have to live in this moment because you could be anything. You could have you could have been born in North Korea. Yeah. You could have you could have been born like one of my uncles with your insides out and you pass away as an mm. infant, you know, in the nineteen fifties. Like anything could have happened. And some people are born with such severe mental illness that they Want to have sex with dead humans? They want to kill people. They want to rape someone. They find that to be erotic or normal. The mm. only way they get aroused, it's disturbing. And if it's from abuse, it's even worse. You're like that wasn't even their fault. Right now, it's because someone else did something to them.
2: I think
0: that's probably a big. I mean, it's got a, probably really cyclical. And then you you do to wonder like, I think that's also that ties back to the Bible of being. That's like a a, a, a explanation of why you know that's like. A, the Cain and Abel story Mm -hmm. to the first, the first two brothers and one killed the other out of jealousy. And it's like, well, that's why we have violence today. That's why, um, we have, from the beginning, been using stories and metaphor to try to understand that that does, fundamentally doesn't make sense to people like me and you who are (laughs) genetically okay, healthy, lucky to be who we are and not want to hurt people. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're, it would be really fucking fascinating if there ever is, like, a scientific explanation for that or if, the, if, the, uh, if there's ever more uh, cultural clarity on how those problems arise or how, how you can help I, minority report style, like, see, <laughs> see, see ahead of time and offer people help and, and fix their... But then you can, you can glitch it out. You know, it's not always foolproof.
1: Yeah, what I have learned, and I'm sure you can agree through traveling, meeting all kinds of people from all over the world, old, young, man, woman, someone who's non-binary, it doesn't matter, different ethnicities, different religions, different education, mm-hmm. um, different financial situations, M- most people are kind and nice. Most people want to like be happy. Most yeah. people want to like do something good. Most people want to eat food and have yeah. a laugh. Yeah. Most people just want to find someone to love and and have sex with them and and grow with them. Most people want Mm -hmm. these things. It's why we've kind of normalized them because it's like, turns out we kind of all want these things. Yeah, dude. You know?
0: Do you know um, a writer called Rucker Bregman? No, I don't. Uh, Fred turned me on to a book uh, this last year called Humankind. I heard about him on the Ezra Klein podcast. Mm. And Box, Ezra, Ezra Klein? Uh, yeah, he's actually uh, New York Times now. He's mm. a, a op-ed a dude there, and he still does the show twice a week. It's mm. the same thing. It's just switched uh, media pavilions. Um, but uh, Rucker Bregman is a social scientist who wrote this book, Humankind. It's basically a 600-page thesis to refute the idea that people are bad. Um mm-hmm. And I I don't know about the teaching of your church growing up, but our church is very much like you are bad. Like original sin has tainted yeah. your soul. You yeah. are corrupt from the moment of your – there is no goodness apart from God that you can tap into. And You are – Great way to l- grow up, by the way. Yeah, right? <laughs> no matter what you do, you're you fucked. You're <laughs> shameful. You deserve to have guilt because that's what you were born as, You. you little slut. Yeah. And yeah. it's like – Okay. Wow. jeez, I thought I was okay. You know. I was like, no, I know the, I have room for
1: improvement. The guilt lives me to this day because same, of that. To be honest. Same,
0: dude. Um, ton of, ton of shame to overcome in my life psychologically. Much of it sexual, but like really across the whole spectrum. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Bregman takes a lot of really classic, iconic studies, uh, like ones like the marshmallow experiment with kids. You know, uh, or there's, a, there's like a sort of a Lord of the Flies experiment that they did, um, I want to say, like in the 60s where they put these kids out on an island and they became tribal and they started to fight each other and stuff. And so for years, people have pointed to these landmarks cases, these like labs and said, look, at the, Look, it shows people are bad, you know. And Bregman in his book, he gives you so much historical context and like really like with a bright scientific acumen approaches a lot of these narratives and says, actually, if you look, and you read the thing, you'll see that these leaders were pushing the kids to fight because they needed the study to fall in line with their hypothesis. And there's all this manipulation of of data uh, over the across such a dizzyingly broad array of studies, most of them which were new to me, but many I'd had heard of. I go, oh, so you know, you know, in this chapter we're going to tell you, you know, about this thing that you know that shows people are bad. And then like 30 pages later, it's like. But no, people are actually good. And you're yeah. like, okay, cool. And then the next chapter does the same thing. And like 600 pages in, you're like, wow, I'm a beautiful genius. I was born kind. Like <laughs> I was born kind. <laughs> well, it's it's so
1: simple that without reading or knowing these stories, it's like, Josh, how do you survive? We certainly don't survive by pissing off your friends and right. upsetting people. Yeah. It seems like you survive if everyone is nice and works together because a collective is much stronger than a solo person. And
0: chord of three strands is not easily broken.
1: Sure. <laughs> it's but like you, you do many hands equals light work, you know. D-I-T, D I T, you know, do, do, it, do it together. Yeah, D Y T, yeah, do it together.
0: D Y T, dirty young
1: thing. <laughs> <laughs> D-Y-T, do D I T, do it together. Like, yeah, I, I put on a very difficult and arduous <laughs> music festival, yeah, and I do a lot of it on my own. But guess what? I don't do all of it on my own, and I can't complete the task without you know, the team of 40, 50 people that weekend Yep. and the film crew and the sound crew and the person watching the, the merch And like, I, it's not possible. It cannot exist unless there's a team. And when that type of thing humbles me because I, I'll get a lot of, you know, compliments and stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of groundwork for it, but I can't actually do it without a bunch of people, like a yeah. lot of people, Dude. the neighbors, the, 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 the local people that I even say like, what is anything without the attendees and the artists mm-hmm. and the musicians? The musicians make it. Yeah. You know, it's 160 people on average that are performing. You know, if you break four people per band in the 40 bands on, yeah. on average, it's like, it's everybody. It's yeah. really not just me, it's a ton of people. And everyone wants to do those things together. You, you only survive if you're happy and kind and polite. Like, w- I live with roommates. Like, we don't want to live together. We're mean and rude and harsh mm-hmm. to each other.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you're even raised that way by your parents. Like, be nice, be respectful, be polite. Why am I being polite? Oh, because if I'm nice to my cousin or my aunt at the party, like they're actually gonna wanna hang out and see me and we mm-hmm. can actually be a collective and work with each other. And then I could be friends with Bob down the street who could fix my car when I need it and I can help him with his gutters. And yes. you know, you can you realize it's actually much more productive than being like, I'm gonna kill that person.
0: And more fun, <laughs> man. It's
1: more fun. Yeah. It's more fun. Like, hey, I know I'm staying with a guy in Oakland today because of a friend I made, yeah. or St. Louis, or so wherever it is you're staying, you yeah. you know people. Like, you You guys are welcome to stay here whenever you want. Like, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Just not tonight, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good thing. Thanks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What time is it? <laughs> oh, hey, look at that. Coming up on the time. We're almost on that, too. Um... Is there any? I don't know where to go now. Uh, we've been going places. This has been great.
0: Yeah, my brain is bent, but it was very <laughs> organic. I feel like there was no. For those of you listening, uh, there's no uh, notes on the table. There's no. no. That's this. This is free flowing. You
1: just I just go for it. I mean, I realized as a young, at a young age, I really like talking to people, and I really like asking questions. I really like learning, and and hearing a different perspective. From a child, just being like sleeping with my. My brother, we shared a room. He's two years older, and every night I'd just be asking him questions. He'd just be like, "Shut up! <laughs> How big is the world? Why is it like that?" <laughs> you know, and he's just like, "Who? I, Google didn't exist yet." So he's yeah. like, what, "Leave me alone." Yeah. To grandparents, I've always enjoyed older folks mm. who have a lot of wisdom and eighty, ninety years of experience. Wars and famine and Literally, this and different political time travelers, man. Yeah, you're like, "Whoa, that's crazy! You lived through that?" Yeah. So yeah, talking people has just been like natural and fun and then i was like i should probably just put a mic in front of myself with them and a camera you know why not i've met some fun and interesting people doing what i do and i might as well learn from them and talk to them you know so i learned a lot from you today you're very experienced
0: very wise bless you dog i feel the same
1: thank you thank you for sharing things is there anything you want to plug or share about your life music art before we go
0: yeah do you know uh when this is going to drop uh
1: probably next when a week from today
0: okay um, so if you're in, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, uh, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, <laughs> Nebraska, or Kansas, <laughs> I'll see you next month. Um, those are the places we're touring in November. Uh, all those dates will be on joshuapowellmusic.com, uh, and on our Facebook, uh, Instagram are both, uh, Joshua Powell Music. Um, and then uh, in December, we're also doing New York, D.C., Virginia, and both the Carolinas. So if you're a listener from there, uh, look that shit up. Uh, otherwise, our new record, Skeleton Party, is streaming everywhere and will be available for purchase on vinyl uh, at romanusrecords.com on October 30th. Nice. So that's uh, our next year is going to be all about the Skeleton Party, um, and then... Uh, we are not touring in January and February, so as to record the follow-up LP, uh, we'll spend the majority of 2022 touring Skeleton Party to hit all the places that we haven't hit yet this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, rinse and repeat. had' yeah, and finish Uma. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah.
1: Good for you. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. Thanks, man. I love when people just do the thing.
0: Isn't it so? Just gritty. Just d- it's just rough. It's dirty, but it's inspiring because it's real. You know, luck only happens if you're there, prepared, showing up for over and over.
1: Preparation and over. meets opportunity, right? I don't like it when someone says, "Oh, you're lucky." I'm like, sure, you make your own luck. You make your own luck, <laughs> you uh, your own look, but that just means preparation met yeah. opportunity. Yeah, you only get the thing that we call luck when you just are doing the thing. Mm-hmm. So keep doing the thing so that luck keeps coming in. Thanks, Congratulations too, on the on the record Cheers. label. That's really cool.
0: That's a dream come true. So I gotta set new dreams.
1: That's good. All right, Josh. Thank you again for doing this. It was a pleasure, as always.
0: Pleasure is mine.
1: All right. Take care.